So I want to become a dog trainer. Oh, yeah? But when I look, I just don't know who to join. Yeah. It's a sea of acronyms, and it appears to be unregulated. <laughs> I want to know my money is well spent with me joining a team of dynamic, ethical professionals who have the same goals as me. I also want to be taught using the most up-to-date, science-led data. So where do I go? You heard of Pat? It's a place to go to become the most knowledgeable, skilled, ethical, science-based dog training instructor you can be. It's also one of the few organisations good enough to be a member of the Animal Behaviour and Training Council. The Professional Association of Canine Trainers, PACT for short, is here to help you become the best accredited dog trainer you can be. PACT gonna help you reach your goals. PACT is the place you need to go. Oh, PACT if you love dogs like we do too. PACT we are indeed the place for you. PACT it's time to take that leap of faith. PACT delay no further while you wait. Come find us at packed-dogs.com. Are you looking for the ideal gift for the dog-loving children in your family? Jack and Billy Puppy Tales is a delightful story with an important message for children of all ages. It's written by Steve Goodall and Sally Bradbury. You'll follow two puppies, Jack and Billy, during that all-important first year of their lives. It's had some amazing reviews from some of the top dog trainers in the world. Dr Ian Dunbar, veterinary behaviourist, says... I started to smile after only four pages. I couldn't put it down and at the end I could barely read for tears of happiness. This is a wonderful book. Karen Tong, dog training instructor and child dog bite prevention educator, said this. This will definitely educate both children and adults about the correct way to bring up a puppy. It belongs in the home of all dog lovers and anyone considering acquiring a puppy. You can find us at jackandbillypuppytails.com and join the adventures. We're also on Facebook, Jack and Billy Puppy Tales. See you soon. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn together. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop till we're gone. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn together. Barks from the bookshop, we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop. Hey, hello, 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 everyone listening. Hello, everybody. Hope you're good there out in December land, because it is December. I was looking at my diary today and I was like, oh my God, a week today. I can it's hear Fish's tail hitting your microphone. <laughs> <laughs> really? Is it, <laughs> it waggy woo? Sorry. <laughs> What's he doing? It's going crazy. I don't know. He's on my desk. He's, He's probably trying to type you an email or something. Penny has been going rogue on our desk as well this week. She, she climbed up the I've other day to evidence. get a, um, a yak bar 
and she chewed yeah. that for about two minutes and climbed back up on the on the bed on the desk to get a olive wood chew the little oh, does she tw- like that because i got yeah, i bought it. all of my lot um one of those for christmas oh she loves it peach loves hers as well oh good ah mm. oh, we'll, we'll see what they think of theirs um have you seen uh katie's setup with her um her working from home she has a whole desk that's just dog beds so that everyone can sit and snuggle with her while she's working it's really sweet no i haven't i have to check that out <laughs> yeah. that looks amazing yeah. that, that's a de- that's definitely what our office is going to turn into <laughs> yes yeah. let's be honest it's no don't point. fight it no. don't fight it there's no fighting it's already loads of stuff <laughs> on the desk. i thought we bought this huge desk and it's huge and i'm like well this is going to be brilliant it's going to be all spatial and modern and now it's just covered with all of the stuff that was in our old office <laughs> and a christmas tree we got a christmas tree yeah. on the desk though Hooray. yay um what have you been doing natalie in your life what have i been doing well last week was the last week of teaching for university so whoop, whoop. i have said goodbye to my lovely students mm-hmm. um so i've been marking their assignments um also uh just tying up loads of sort of loose endy bits so that i can start um relaxing or, you know yeah exactly put out of offices on and stuff yeah um one of the most exciting things we've done is um because you got your lovely office done and i, I was very jealous it gave me the kick up the bum to finally sort out um what what i term a floor drobe which was <laughs> so we've got a small bedroom upstairs mm. which just ended up being a big pile of clothes that never mm-hmm. got put away because the wardrobes were old and they were falling apart and didn't have enough hangers so i've bought i bought these like telescopic pole things so it's it's like a huge big walk-in wardrobe and i can oh. every item of my clothing is hung up i can see all of wow. my clothes that's yeah. brilliant. That that one week where that lasts is just the best week ever. Yeah. It'll, be back, it'll be back to a floor drobe next week. Um, I will, I'll do you a little video of the official launch of Nat's walk-in wardrobe. Ours is the... Ba- Corin likes to leave clothes on the floor in the bathroom. Oh, goodness sake. That's what she does. Yes. Shh, don't tell anyone. Ours is the bathroom. That's our floor drobe. <laughs> yes um wow wow so well, you yeah so that's that's me oh and we had a sad day because one of our lovely um rescue oh, yeah. ducks died I which did, was a I shame did. i did yeah um so yeah i don't know that what happened sad. though just no just i was just she was just um gone in the morning so um hopefully she didn't suffer too much mm. and um who knows bit of a mystery yeah, uh, yeah. but we we're gonna uh, bury her at the field. Oh, I'm very sorry time. to hear that. That's very. No. That's not. That's not, never nice, is it? No. In other news, though, I do like your jumper. Thank you. It's my huge jumper that is, um, what I'm aiming the size I'm aiming to be <laughs> by the end of lockdown. It's it's yeah, an aspirational. You got you a way to go. <laughs> I think I got it from a charity shop and I think the person that owned it before me was a, a lock-in <laughs> and Fish loves it because he can fit in it too. Can get inside. Yeah. We can all get in there for a party. Oh yes, yeah, massive. <laughs> you, you're welcome anytime. I you probably fit your arms as well. We, we went to a few charity shops today. We braved it. We braved, we went Christmas shopping in a, um, a, a place near us in Southampton called Portswood that has some quite cool sort of independent shops and some charity shops and things like that. Um, 
Yeah, and it was it absolutely bucketed down with rain. Oh, oh my, my God, it's word, been so rainy today. Oh, and poor old Corinne, poor old sea dog. She's just, she's just um, pinked her hair up. She's just dyed her hair pink. Which is very cool, but she's got to really, really be concerned about getting it wet in any oh, way, shape, yeah. or form. Oh, yeah. No, it's not good weather for me no. on pink hair. So we had to sit in the car for a good 10 minutes and wait for a gap and then run off. We went to um, a brilliant independent bookshop called October Books. I think you know that one, didn't you? Yeah, I love that bookshop. It's just great. I could spend ages in there. Just yeah. And especially in the kids' book section. Yeah. It's got is excellent. If you've got any like racists or you know anyone like that in your life and they've got children, go and buy them a book in there because it's twofold. The kids will love the book and and you really annoy the racist in your life. <laughs> <laughs> Everything has like a proper serious message, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I know, I know. There was one of a hedgehog saying, um, "Until we can hug again," which is obviously like a COVID sort of like yeah. type thing. Um, there was this brilliant one called I can't remember what it's called now. Ah, oh, something bunny. And the basic premise of I read it. I read the whole thing when I was in there. I'm really not, probably not supposed to do that, but it's a kids' book, you know. Um, yeah. it basically, it's about it's about this girl who's really mean to her toy bunny, and right. her toy bunny runs off. But she thinks it's just gone missing, but it runs off. So she screams and screams at her parents, and her parents eventually give in and get her a real bunny. And then this horrible girl like decides that the real bunny is boring. They don't do doesn't do enough. It's boring. Just sits there, eats, twitches. And then the real bunny grows even bigger than their parents, this massive bunny. And it decides to try and deliver this lesson to this horrible like, little girl. Right. Who, who don't listen to any of it. And then the bunny decides, well, I'm going to talk to her parents. And her parents are just like, they don't listen to any of it at all. They're like, we love her just the way she is. I'm not really sure what the message is here. Because at the end of the book, the bunny gets together with the toy bunny that's run off. So that bunny right. comes back in. They become friends and then they go off. And on the last page, the big bunny's sort of saying, well, I'm really sorry that wasn't a happy ending. You know, some people, it appears, just can't change. And the little toy bunny goes, well, at least I'm happy. And the big bunny goes, well, I'm happy too. And then they ask about the little girl and the big bunny goes, who cares? And that's it. That's the end of it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, yeah, I suppose it's got a good message of, you know. Get out of there. Don't don't concern (laughs) yourself with things that you can't affect it seems a bit lofty for a children's book doesn't it yeah you do have to be really careful with kids books though um Mm. i I was reading a bedtime story to uh my friend's little boy alex uh well must have been last year because we're not allowed in now um and it was horrid oh was it because there was this basically there was this witch and um she uh, invited all of the woodland animals uh, to a picnic um, and none of them turned up because they didn't like the witch. Oh, no. um, um, and so she um, went on the picnic. Uh, she invited a troll instead and they went on the picnic. And then they cut, the end is that they're sitting there having the picnic and she's made this stew and she's made this stew out of all the woodland creatures <laughs> that didn't go to the picnic in the first place. I was like, mm. what kind of message is this? If someone bullies you, you kill them and eat them. What? I guess I guess there is a, a long history of quite horrible children's stories and tales and Yeah. But then but I, they're cautionary normally, aren't they? There's someone like don't don't wander yeah. off after night, don't do that. It's not like don't but go to everyone's picnic or you're going to be murdered. That's what they're... Yeah, and I'm now very careful. I read a whole book before I agree to read mm. it or buy it for them because yeah, I was I was too invested in the story. I couldn't 
change it. I couldn't make it anything different. And I was kind of a bit in shock. And uh, I mean, Alex loved it. He, he was fine. Well, but. there's. A, I didn't expect to be talking this much about his book, but there's another book in the shop called Migrants. And I picked it up because it's got a black cover. Again, obviously the message is clear, but mm. um, it's. But they use the, they, the, all the characters are animals. And there's no words in the book. The only words are on the back of the book saying a tale of how all of the animals had to leave the forest one day um, to get away from danger. And yeah. and each page is a pit and it's just harrowing. It's like there's pictures of all these animals with badgers and badgers and bunnies and foxes and that. And they're all like together, but they've all got really sad faces. And then and then they get to the sea and then they have to get in a boat and then one of them drowns. And then it's, oh, it's, God. it's like an absolute, you know, you've got to be careful who they who you give that to. I mean, I found Sounds that Sounds like... Quite, um... Animals of Farthing Wood. That's yeah. the story of Animals of Farthing what, Wood. Yeah, for a new, for a kind of new generation, should we say? Although Animals of Farthing Wood mm. was good, wasn't it? I did. I used oh, to love amazing! That. I used to love that. Amazing. I've got, I've got a copy of it. Jay got, found me a copy because my original copy disappeared somewhere, mm. and he got me a copy for our first anniversary because it's paper when you, it's year one. Mm. And he managed to track me down a copy of it. Ah, there you go. Happy yeah. Days. That's pretty much all shopping is all I've been doing. Oh, um, we got. I did want to talk about. We've been doing lots of cooking recently because we signed up to this thing called Odd Box, and basically what it is is it's uh, you rescue vegetables, right? Um, <laughs> all the all the vegetables. We we had a little laugh about this last night because we said it could be like you know like you get those sort of like dogs trust adverts. It's going to be that yeah. for vegetables now. Um, this is the life of a vegan. Um, but... <laughs> You've renamed them to your tummy. <laughs> yeah. And um, so basically it's the ones that they've either made too many of the supermarkets don't want to buy because they're odd shaped or something like that. So it, it gets delivered to your door. They deliver it at night. This isn't an advert. They deliver it at night to save on their carbon footprint. It's a cool company. So you wake up on a Saturday morning and the first thing Karen does is, oh, the odd box is here. And we go down and we open our odd box and then we are sometimes surprised. Sometimes you can find out what it is. Um, so we had, um, we've had loads of new recipes because we've had to, we've had things that were like, I don't know what to do with that thing. Celeriac was one of them. Um, yeah. but bag of radishes, that was another, I mean, I, I love, love, I love a radish. I do love a radish. What do you do with a whole bag of them though? Do you know what I mean? When you're not whacking them on a salad. So you yeah. Google it, you know, and then you find out all these recipes. It's been very good. It's been really good. It's made me, um, really excited about cooking i've always quite liked cooking anyway but it's made me more excited because it's more that's good and it means you get to try some new recipes because you're kind of led by what you get in your Mm. in your box aren't you yeah i did look it up but they don't deliver to my area yet so i've heard this maybe one day i've got an uh uh, aubergine the size of a planet the other day (laughs) yeah good lord you'd never pick it up and you'd never in the supermarket you'd never pick it up but we made two dishes with that aubergine and they were lovely Oh, they were mm. lovely. Anyway, four four more recipes. Follow uh, Steve at. Don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Baba ganoush. Baba ganoush. What's that? A uh, smoky aubergine dip. Oh, oh yes, kind of, of course. Like a Turkish type sort of thing, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I have had a bit of Baba ganoush. Baba ganoush. And his dip. Matty. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway, shall we talk about why we what are we doing today? What, what are, we, are doing? we What are we doing? Who it, are we chatting to? It's another book review. It's been a while. Yeah. I think last time was that Zazafras, was it? Yes. Dazafras. Yes, it was. So today, yeah. possibly, I'm going to hold this up to the camera, but that will be able to see, but no one else will. This might be I'll possibly a, the yeah. most bookmarked one of all of the books that I have. Uh, hold it up. I'll take a little photo. Ready? 
Can you see it? Yeah, but I need a, a bit more of the cover. Hang on. Ready? Go. Um, okay. So the book is Separation Anxiety in Dogs, Next Generation Treatment Protocols and Practices by Melina Demartini-Price. Indeed. Um, now, I remember, I remember way back in the day, I think you might have lent it to me, actually, back in the day when I was wet behind the ears reading the original version of this. There is an, an, an OG, isn't there? Yes, um, I've, I've got that. This yep. one I, I've I've got on an ebook from our lovely friends at Dogs Dogwise. So yeah, from sponsors of the podcast, Dogwise. Yes, indeed. Um, I, I got I got sent a copy, <laughs> <laughs> and she wrote in it for me. Oh, she said, "Steve, you're better than that. Thank you. Just that simple, Aww. nice simple message. I like a simple That's- message." That's true. That's true. <laughs> no, um, no, sorry, I didn't. I think I, um, I just got in there first. I think you know, hey ho, hey ho. Um, but it is, um, well, it, it first and foremost. Well, actually, we should get into this into the why read it. So it's brilliant. It's a brilliant yeah. book. As as all books, we're going to put on here. This isn't a, a review podcast. It's a recommendation podcast, isn't it, Nat? Yes, as, it as is. We decided the other day, and that's a story for another. Because time. who are we to review things? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and we we want to share the love and pay it forward with with things that we have read or learnt from um, some of the best authors in the business. So, um, and Melina's been on our list for a while, hasn't she? So it's, yes, it's good I to think finally have al- her on. almost. Am I right in saying almost from day one? Yeah, I think she she's on, she the, was original on the original list when we first sat down in the pub. Mm. Oh, I'm in the pubs. I do. Um, when we first sat down in the pub and we made a list, didn't we? And I yeah, went to me... the pub the other day. Actually, did you? I did. I braved what, what, it. It was very quiet. Sure. It was very quiet. I had a veggie burger. Oh, it's lovely. Oh, nice. It was very nice. But anyway, shall shall we? Shall we go in? Shall we? Shall yes, we? Shall let's we? do it. I'm let's excited. Do it. It's been a while. Woo! Yay! Why read it? Why read this book? <laughs> I, um, lovely i'm not and do you know what i'm gonna rely on the words of friend of the podcast ken ramirez for this um because on the back you know like you do on a book you get little little write-ups also got an, yeah. oh look there's another friend of the podcast on it as well Jean Donaldson. oh yeah oh, zazzy oh, actually yeah. zazzy writes the the foreword yeah she does in her awesome style um but anyway should we hear what ken has to say and why you should yes. read separation anxiety in dogs um <clears throat> melina's first book on separation anxiety was a game changer but her newest book six years later is even better it's packed with new information new insights about the principles involved and backed by solid data to quote from the final sentence in her book separation anxiety is fixable and Melina brilliantly demonstrates how. There you go. That's why you should read it. Yeah. I just, just just pulling that apart a little bit, if you would allow me. Um, the bit where he mentions there about being backed by solid data. There's loads and loads of little tables and charts and thingamajigs in this book that I thought were absolutely, well, first of all, really eye-opening, number one, but really valuable for... Mm. Uh, the thing about this book is it, this is really helpful if you're a trainer and you want to take on separation anxiety cases but it's also really helpful if you've got a dog that is suffering from separation anxiety it's almost a um 
I wouldn't say entirely. I, I would always say, you know, get yourself some help um, from a professional, of course. And I think Melina would say the same thing. Well, she would say the same thing. But it's it helps so much. It goes such a long way into understanding what it is and the protocols needed to help mm. that um, it is brilliant. And going back to the data part of it, all of those little little um, uh, graphs and tables and pie charts. We love a pie chart, I mean that. Um, they're really great. They're really, really good. There's one in particular that I want to talk about later on that actually um, blew away a few of my um, preconceived notions about separation anxiety, which is always pleasurable. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it. I thought it was really good. Like I said before, I've not. Uh, I've got me. A, I took a, um, a leaf out of your book, Nat, and bought some of those little bookmarky bits. I, you know what? I saw them and I. They make a good noise. I had a little smile because I thought, I'm rubbing off on the king of podcasts and audiobooks. I also, though, do you know what? This is going to annoy you. Not only, but I've done two things. I've put the old bookmark on it. See it there? It's the bookmark. Yeah. I've also written in the book now as well. Oh, you can't do that. You are an animal. I'm an animal. (laughs) Goodness me. No, I I think you've you've summed that up really nicely. And um, in the um, the kind of um, introduction. Uh, Melina says that this book is predominantly for trainers and behaviorists as Mm. a kind of manual, but she's deliberately not used too much jargon Mm. so that if you are working with a professional to help your dog, you can kind of work along Mm. with them because, you know, um, knowledge is power, isn't it? So, uh, and, and, you know, with all the will in the world, um, sometimes uh it, it takes a bit longer than than um you know a couple of sessions with someone f- for that light bulb moment mm. of all oh, right okay i get what we're doing and i get why we're doing it um whereas you know if you've got if you've got this as a really good manual that your client can read along while you're doing your your protocol um it just helps to kind of cement all that learning doesn't it and a lot of the sort of terminology and reasoning behind some of the decisions that are made, like the no alone time um, mm. contract. I love that. Some of the yeah. language that Melina uses is brilliant. And I found as I'm reading through, because it, it's quite, a, you know, it's a, it, it's an important subject. So it's a serious book, but there's moments where Melina mentions is the language that she uses or, or stories from past clients that really um, are quite heartwarming and really made me yeah. smile. Um, and actually the, the, the contract between you and your dog. I love that. That That's a great, I'll probably be stealing that at some point. <laughs> you might want to sue me later, but, um, but I liked it. It's good. It, it, um, it's a good, well, like you said, it's a great, if it, I wonder actually, it'd be interesting to find out if she advises clients to buy the book and have it alongside, or maybe she yeah, gives it to them. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, it would be a great, a great um, companion to have along the journey. I, I mean, I've, yeah, I've certainly advised it in the past um, um, with particular clients that, you know, want to know a bit more. Mm. Um, some people are just happy to work alongside you and work through the plan that you've written. Um, but, you know, sometimes you, you get those um, keen clients that want a, a bit of a broader understanding as well. And that's that's where this has come in really handy, I think. Um, and, you know, I think it's a really good introduction to uh, what is essentially a very tricky thing to work and live with. Mm. Um, and it, it kind of helps to set the expectations 
with the client because it, it's not going to be a one session fix. Mm. Um, it's going to be a long, long term um kind of uh, program that really needs the commitment from from the owners and you know if they're not able to sign up to that then things aren't going to improve for the dog um yeah that's, that's as simple as it gets really and I, I completely get it you know I'm very lucky I can I can leave all my dogs they don't have any issues but um you know um there there are workarounds some of it like taking your dog everywhere with you and yeah, all yeah. sorts um if you're lucky enough but to some people it, haven't yeah. got that lifestyle mm. you know they haven't got that luxury and so i think it's really important to um kind of know what you're taking on if you have a dog that's experiencing that there's a big myth section in here as well which i think i love the myth section there's, 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 yeah. a, there's a flip side to that coin because i think yeah yeah of course like it takes time of course it does uh, yeah but Actually, as I'm reading through it, I, I'll be honest, I've done very, worked very little with any dogs with separation anxiety. Um, but as I'm reading through this, because it weighs heavy on you, this kind of idea of how long it's going to take and, and the commitment and all of that. But when you break it down into what is required, I think probably the hardest part is the no alone time part. But as mm. is pointed out brilliantly in this book, most people are there already because if you've got a dog you know yeah i think it said well, i think it's something like 80 percent of people are already not leaving their dog alone by the time they've even got to reaching out for help so yeah you know that's quite an easy contract to make but the thing that did surprise me a little bit was how there's a lot of work you have to do but it's in short little blocks building up yeah. to you know it's little and often it's not you know four hours a day of work you know yeah. of, of building out towards it and that was really good Really, yeah. really good. Yeah, eye, eye openers all round. I loved it. Yeah, it's really, it is a really interesting subject. And I, you know, I know a few behaviourists that have um, just, they just specialise in separation anxiety. Mm. So they, they work remotely because a lot of it can be done um, remotely. Um, and yeah, that's that's all they see. Um, I, yeah, it's not, it's not the biggest thing that comes up for me. Like you say, most people... Uh, have kind of found a workaround for themselves sometimes. Mm. They might not be proactively working on the problem, mm. um, uh, but they've, you know, got a neighbour that sits in or a family member that comes by or, you know, they're yeah. just doing timeshare stuff so that the dog isn't isn't left. Um, That's a lovely part of the book about, like, trying to gather those that, that support network mm. <laughs> together, you know, to help and how many people are actually would be willing to do it. Um, yeah, I um, I loved it. I loved it. Why why read it? Because Ken Ramirez says so. <laughs> Ken says He's a goes. very reliable source, is our Ken. Kathy <laughs> um, Sadal. Do you know Kathy Sadal? Yes. I um, uh, she's mentioned a lot through the book. Little mm. uh, quotes and things like that. Um, she sounds incredible. She's fab. She wrote um, "Plenty in Life Is Free." I'm just looking so, at her now on the back. Uh, yeah. It, um, it's a kind of um, kickback at uh, a, um, a, a kind of movement which was called uh, NILF, not to be confused with NILF. <laughs> just about to say um, that, NILF. What does so, yeah, it, it's nothing, nothing in life is free. And it's basically, um, you know, using uh, food and um, to learn sort of thing. Exactly, yeah, yeah okay. all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas uh, Kathy... Um, 
it takes maybe a, a more welfare friendly and um, compassionate approach and mm. so plenty in life is free. A natty um, approach, as I like to call it. Yeah, natty approach. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah we, should, um, we should see if she wants to come on. on. That'd be a really good book. Just reach out with our Have fingers. We should reach yeah. out. But um, I think we should delve in because there's lots of things to talk about. I've got a few, a few different things to pick up on each of the sections. So um, I'm very excited. We've got an interview with Melina coming up. Yes, we have. All the way from California. Town no, of party. Yeah. In the California. city. God. Uh. <laughs> Apologies, listeners. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, brilliant, shall we? Yes. Let's go. My eye! Ouch! <laughs> that was a funny noise. <laughs> Enough said. Right, I'm going first then, am I? Yeah. Okay, so uh, this is from the myth busting section. Um, great section. Great section. Uh, so it's it's in uh, chapter one, and um, uh, Melina says, before getting too far into the nuanced areas of separation, anxiety, management and training, be helpful to dispel the many myths about treating separation anxiety. And they're all they're all brilliant um, mm. uh, because sometimes it's good to learn a new thing by finding out that a thing you thought was right is wrong. That happens to me on a daily basis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a daily basis. <laughs> So the, um, all of these are great, um, but I've chosen one. Shall I just read out a bit? bit so before you it? go, you just reminded me of a brilliant quote. I think this is David Bowie. I might be misassigning this quote to someone else. But he said in his on his 50th birthday, uh, an interviewer, I think it was for NME magazine, asked him uh, what, he, what, he, what he's learned from getting older. And yeah. I think his quote was something along the lines of, I wish I knew everything... That I, th- I wish I knew everything at 50 that I thought I knew when I was 21. <laughs> I like yeah. that. That's it's what like, my life is like at the moment. Yeah, I'm it's like 50. that, um, what is it, Kruger-Dunning Kruger effect. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Um, okay, so my myth um, is that clients are reinforcing bids for attention by re-entering the home if their dog is vocalising. Uh, okay, so... So just just the art of coming back in the house is yeah. reinforcing the fact that they're going to just keep shouting for attention or whatever yeah. it is they might be doing. Okay, right. and I find this I find this a lot. I think this there's a parallel with this um, when you're working with uh, you know reactive dogs, maybe dogs that will bark at other dogs. Um, and if the underlying emotion is anxiety, mm. then the the kind of the rules of positive reinforcement are, are a bit blurred. So I think we get too hung up on operant conditioning, mm. you know, where we say, well, I can't give him food when he's barking because that will mean that he will bark more. And, you know, it it's not as simple as that. It's a bit of a tricky argument. But um, anyway, so Melina says, the dog is vocalising because he is anxious, not because he's trying to call someone back. You cannot reinforce anxiety behaviours like this. If I hug you while you are anxious about an upcoming exam, will that reinforce your anxiety? Please tell me your answer was no. If your dog barks at you for a treat, you can absolutely reinforce that. But reinforcing deliberate behaviour is vastly different than the incorrect notion of being able to reinforce an emotion. 
separation anxiety is an actual panic issue. Um, and then there's a bit more information in there. But um, I just really like that as a, a myth buster. And yeah. I think it has wider applications and implications for different um, kind of behaviours. Uh, of course that people might be working through as well. So that was my... There's a lot in here that pricked my uh, eye about um, other types, like you say, like um, dogs displaying reactive behaviour, you know, all of those sorts of things as well that seemed applicable... um, Threshold below or at um, exactly those sorts of things, Um, but actually, what what you've done there is you give me a a very nice segue into my pricks my eye because it's a similar thing. It's in the myth section as well. Interesting, we both picked something out of the myth section. Um, This book goes a long way to talking about um, how to approach it, uh, how to approach this from an empathy standpoint, not just empathy from the owner understanding what the dog is going through, which is massively important. And we'll speak speak about that in a second, but also mm. for the trainer to be empathetic to the empathetic, empathetic, I don't know, what's the word? Empathetic. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, to the client um, as well, which is just yeah. as important. I think we, you know, we can all get sometimes a bit overwhelmed by, people asking questions and things if you're a dog trainer and stuff like that it can get hard it really can and that's and that's just being human sometimes but I think it does us well to sometimes remember that all these people are only asking things and things all the time because they're worried about stuff and things I think you know I think uh, that's brilliant and and again this book is great for all of that stuff so my myth is it's about um so We'll talk about this with Melina, but just to give it a bit of background. So one of the first things that you've got to do if you're dealing with a dog that's got separation anxiety is agree that whilst you're working your way through it, that the dog has no alone time as you work your way through. Um, So this is the myth. The dog can be left alone sometimes when working on separation anxiety. And Melina says, this is incorrect. When we are working through a separation anxiety protocol, the dog must experience no stressful absences. Other than the times the client is doing uh, uh, specified training, the dog will not be left unsupervised. Any absences outside of training that would cause undue stress have the potential to cause considerable setbacks to the critical work being done when working on separation anxiety. Um, And I I think that one, if anyone's listening who's got a dog that suffers from separation anxiety, I think that's the, the one of the biggest things to to get in your head you know one of the you know we talked didn't we a little bit at the beginning there about setting up a a sort of umbrella of people that will be able to help you out you know um dog walkers people coming to the house to visit you know that kind of thing if it's applicable to your your dog but i think that's really important and um it's something that it it seems like for me and again i'd like to talk to melina about that it seems like that would be a bit of a hard sell until you look a bit later in the book and you see these stats these actual figures which say that you know 80 percent of people aren't leaving their dog anyway so it's Mm. it's an easy decision to make because why would you leave your dog if they're you know yeah if they're in distress but i think making it uh the you know hammering home the idea that they're not being naughty you know they're not being you know that's not like "Mm, spiteful yes spiteful naughty all of those things they're trying to get that that that's the first hurdle i I should imagine a lot of the time people have to get over 
because it can feel like it sometimes i'm sure if they come back and they've sort of weed on the floor and then it's the classic in it all they look all they knew they'd done wrong they look so guilty when i came in and then you're looking at all of this sort of body language gestures that are you know it's very you can see how people if you look at from an empathetic standpoint how people can can fall into that trap so i thought that was a nice myth to talk about yeah in the prick me eye i got number i got another one as well have you got any more well, yeah, there's loads, but go on, if you've got one ready, go for it. I know, that's it. the thing. You could do all of those myths. I all know, of the myths yeah. Could... I'm going to, this one, I just wanted to read out a section. So again, this is this is in uh, chapter one, what is separation anxiety? <clears throat> in Melina's words, I'm sure she could say this better herself, but uh, separation anxiety is born of a natural evolutionary mechanism that is present in all social animals, humans included. Separation anxiety exists to protect to protect young or naive individuals from the real dangers of being left alone or moving too far away from an environment that provides protection and thereby being placed in a perilous situation. It is a heritable trait that serves a specific function and improves a social animal's fitness for survival. When a condition exists for such reasons, which is also known as it having adaptive significance, it is essential to recognise it as such. And I thought that was a really interesting paragraph there. I, I remember it really reminded me, I wrote a little note there of um, a documentary I, wa- I watched about different kinds of emotions and I think it was shame they were talking about and um, mm. how that shame may have evolved so that you didn't shame yourself enough to be kicked out of your tribe, you know, like kind of thing. Like there were di- everyone would disown you and then you'd, you know, you'd be out on your own having to fend for yourself. And, and, you know, that, I guess I wonder if that's sort of a similar yeah. thing. Yeah, mm. but... Oh- well, Pete, Pizza's here. Hello, hello, <laughs> Terriers. Um, yeah, I mean, the, all that stuff and um, uh, heritability of traits and um, survival of the fittest is what I've just been teaching at uni. So, it's, really? It's, yeah, it's really interesting mm-hmm. stuff about the origins of behaviour and fundamentally, you know, something, if, if for something to remain as a functional behavior then it has to have some kind of um positive consequence you know it has to have a a a job um and and sometimes you can uh if you think about that in a evolutionarily kind of um mindset it it kind of takes all of the other personal stuff out of it Mm so like we were just saying you know spite and you know Mm. they're doing it on purpose and they're wrecking the house and they're peeing everywhere and um you know uh, explaining it in that way that actually this is a something that could be useful you know it's become a problem now but in a social doesn't work with us and our our lives now yeah Yeah. Uh, here's a question for you can i come along and and just and just sit in on your lectures like goodwill hunting (laughs) um i don't know (laughs) creepy goodwill stevie i might back. have to do i might have to do your own your own version i could dress as the janitor <laughs> yeah you just, just happen to be actually there are like teams of people at uni that just go around with anti-back now cleaning everything obsessively. i could be that guy but yeah, I just... as long as you bring some um some flash wipes then you'll be fine just blend in <laughs> <laughs> i'm in i'm in i'd love that i'd love that so that's my turn you got you got any more uh 
Yes, but I'm going to save them for when we talk to Melina. It was so a ver- it was not... a veritable eye pricking the whole way through. Let's be honest. It was, yeah. It's yeah. It's I... it's really good. And actually, um, for those of you that might have the the older version or the first version, um, I I still there's loads of new brilliant stuff in there. Um, so if you've got the kind of first version, this is this is still definitely worth. Um, did, looking at because there's some new research you know it's it's set out slightly differently to the first book did so, you notice the the differences as you were going through um i remember it's been, there, it's been a while since i mm. delved into the first one but i remember there being um a lot more um kind of case studies and stuff um mm-hmm. but yeah we can we can ask her about that can't we what she put in maybe you'd have to do you know like when they when they look for stars they like um show a picture and then take the picture away show a picture and take it away <laughs> yeah. if you flicked through them both at the same time you might be able to see where all the differences are see the differences Would that work uh, could do <laughs> oh my brain anyway <laughs> let's move on shall we should we go yeah let's move on <laughs> We have some very exciting news for you on the Barks from the Bookshelf podcast. Our lovely friends at Dogwise, who publish a lot of the books that we have featured and are due to feature, have decided to give all of you lovely listeners 10% off all of their titles. So if you head to their website, which is www dogwise.com you can have a look at their catalogue and when you get to your shopping cart at the end just type in the coupon code which is barkbook all one word b-a-r-k-b-o-o-k and they'll give you a whopping 10% off enjoy okay so we are very uh, excited to be speaking to um, our author of the book that we're focusing on today. So uh, I'm going to read you the about the author section. Uh, so I'm sorry if I sound like I'm reading, but I am. Melina <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, De, De Martini Price is renowned in the dog training world for her expertise in canine separation anxiety. She's contributed articles about separation anxiety to multiple multiple publications around the world, including professional trade magazines, as well as national magazines, both in and out of the dog industry. She lectures on separation anxiety at professional dog training workshops and conferences worldwide, including everything from large professional conferences to smaller venues. She has also been interviewed widely on this topic and multiple videos of podcasts have been produced. Melina is an honours graduate of the esteemed Academy for Dog Trainers, where she studied under Jean Donaldson and is a member of the APDT, the PPG and the IAABC. Melina has focused exclusively on separation anxiety since 2001, working many hundreds of cases and constantly innovating to find better ways to work with the condition and support clients. Today, her practice is split between overseeing a team of top separation anxiety trainers in the world and continuing to educate trainers, vets, dog guardians to better treat separation anxiety in order to help the greatest number of dogs and humans possible to uh, overcome this agonising issue. In addition to writing and lecturing, Melina runs a certification programme for accomplished dog professionals looking to hone their skills and has also produced an online self-paced course for dog owners. A few Mm. of my friends have done that. They've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Melina lives in Northern California with her husband, who's also also a dog trainer. Um, And their dog, 
best name ever, Tini Demartini, who is a recovered separation anxiety dog. She works with her husband. Uh, it says that he is also a certified dog trainer. I'll ask so, her about that. I'm going to ask yeah. her about how do you get through the day without wanting to kill each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so joking. Really, I'm joking. I'm joking, listeners. She's really, um, yeah, she's really kind of carved a really good niche for, for herself. 2001, and, did you say? Yeah, 2001, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, like I said, the um, her online course, she came over to the UK maybe four or five years ago, I think. I miss I missed her. Um, but uh, I heard very good things. Uh, um, and subsequently, a few of my friends did the, the online course as well. Um, and it's a really nice kind of network where they all support each other on mm. cases as well. So yeah, that comes across in the in the yeah. book as well. About mm. the C... What are they? C-T... I'm going to get this wrong. If C-S-A-T uh trainers certified we love an acronym don't we 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 love an acronym certified separation anxiety trainers okay it it actually is really um it's funny that it's i think it uh, there's a passage in there i didn't highlight it so i can't read it verbatim but um it says that when you read this book you're either going to really want to go and work separation anxiety cases or be like well i'm glad i don't work separation anxiety (laughs) cases and as as i was going through it i had quite sort of like I was like oh yeah I quite yeah I know I quite understand I know what and then I was like no 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 maybe I'll stay <laughs> stay doing puppies <laughs> stay in your wheelhouse <laughs> shall we speak to Melina what do yes you think? let's do it let's do it <laughs> in purgatory and you're like they know that I'm here they have any idea that I'm hanging out here you get you get serious props Melina for being first guest with a pop shield first guest with a pop shield for your microphone oh look she's got all the gear now I have to say you both have your headphones on Mm -hmm. I don't have mine on uh can you hear me well enough or is there bounce back no it's fine absolutely fine if you are yeah, I think it sounds good. I think it sounds good. Don't even have to adjust the levels, which is very um Wow, that's pretty fancy. That's, that's fancy, isn't it? That's I fancy. just I like feeling like I'm in my own little world when I've got my headphones on. Mm. I love that. Okay, I have to tell you my vain reason why I don't wear headphones. It makes the hair look really weird. <laughs> and I never know if I should put the hair like behind the headphones, in front of the headphones. Yeah. Well, the headphones just don't work for my hair. That's not a problem that I have. So I'm quite happy about that. <laughs> all, all my hair just migrated down my face. So um, I see that. So I'm happy. Very I'm happy. happy. Yeah, your your hair melted. I am. I'm well. I'm well overdue a shave. I do look like a man from the woods at the moment. So apologies. <laughs> but I always forget I'm meeting new people. <laughs> it's 2020. Oh, yeah. I'm like I'm just a, you know just sitting around my house. You know. Well, I was gonna say everybody has pandemic hair or mm-hmm. beard right now. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. It's a win. I I always do. So I always do this. Always press record at the beginning, just in case we get some absolute gold that you know gets um gets lost. Not in the a problem. And are we 
this is just a podcast, right? I mean, it's, I, we're on video right now, but it's yeah. going to just be audio. It's only yeah. going to be audio. Although, can we take a quick picture? We always have to like, take a quick picture where we wave. So now okay. we'll do a screenshot. Right. Are we ready? Three, two, one, both. There we go. Lovely. Lovely. Thank you very much. For promotional purposes. Of course. <laughs> So um, I've been I've been showing Nat this. Nat's very proud of me because I bought I, I took her thing and um, and got all of these little post-it note bookmark bits. Wow, Normally, you are quite the student there. I'm quite the student, aren't I? Yes. I'm a bit of a stationary addict, so I have all these things, and it's obviously rubbed off on Steve, and he now has his own little nubbins that you can put in and bookmark things. I think Nat. I only tried to get me to buy them because she hates it when I write in books. But yeah. I have also written in. Where do you stand on that? Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not good with the writing in books either. But <laughs> yes. I'm in trouble. But every now and again, I will do so. But I can't, the only way I can do so is if it's in pencil. That's yeah. what I, that's what I've done. In fairness, that is what I've done. I've I've gone down a level. Don't do it in pen anymore. I do it in pencil. <laughs> And I don't know why that makes me feel better. It's not like I'm going to go back and erase it. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, for, I don't know why I would ever do this. Let me just caveat that. But say that I did give this away to a secondhand bookshop at some point because I'd read it 40 times and, and I'd <laughs> absorbed all of the uh, all of the great information that's in there. Um, why would anyone want to see this, the scrawlings of a madman? Because they make no sense to anyone else, I'll be honest. So I've just got... I've got I've, just here, just down here, for example, I've I've written a bit that just says the big one exclamation mark on it, and that's, which means that something to that, me. That makes sense to me. I, I get it. That was in the myths section, which we'll get to in a minute. Ah, I see. <laughs> right then. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for agreeing yeah, to do you. this. Lovely to lovely to see you. Meet you. Yes, lovely to meet both of you. Thank you, thank you, and I appreciate you. Which, you know, I thank you to Nick for introducing yeah. us, but I also just appreciate that you're you're interested and willing to have me on your on your show. And and now I'm flattered that you're so studious with your book and <laughs> I um, love it. Give me time, you'll be upset at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, first of all, California. How is life in California at the moment? You know, well, it's fantastic. I am I am such a tried and true California girl <laughs> that every time I visit <clears throat> other locations, I'm like, oh, we don't do that in California. Oh, we have this in California where they don't have that. However, however, I am interested uh, and, and things have changed recently with the pandemic, but um, we were going to come and live in the UK for about six months. Oh, wow. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I love it there. I absolutely love it. Okay, the weather. If I could bring my California weather, I yeah, would. Yeah, it's, it's a bit different. You need to be here different. sort of like this year between May. It was incredibly yeah. California-like, but that was it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The last time I was there, we had beautiful weather. And it was funny because, um, where were we? One of the days that was just, you know, crisp blue sky, sunny, gorgeous. And we were... Oh, at the time we were in Cambridge and um, everybody was sitting outdoors at all the coffee shops and, and restaurants and delis and everything else. And uh, we, we wanted to go in and get a coffee. And 
we uh, we went in and got a coffee and we looked outside and both of us said, let's not be selfish. We get this all the time. We'll sit <laughs> indoors and let the, locals, <laughs> let the locals enjoy the outdoors. Yeah, oh, it's very kind yeah. of you. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, yeah, we don't get much hot weather. And when we do, everyone goes bonkers, gets completely sunburned, the pub gardens are packed yeah. obviously in a non-pandemic year yeah. uh there's usually some guy in tesco's with no top on yeah um <laughs> wearing a speedo or something oh, yeah 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 and that's normally my dad which is really upsetting <laughs> right, right. Right. well hey i'm glad it's your dad and not you because that would have put a little <laughs> different slant on this interview can't see me from the waist down that's right <laughs> Um, if you do ever move to uh, the UK, you should come and live where I live in Bersedon because that actually, ironically, is known as the California of England. So, um, <laughs> is that right? No, it's not right. No. No. Uh, I was going to say, uh, no. No. So my, hus- my husband is the researcher as to where we would live. So the reason we were thinking about moving there, not only do we really enjoy it there, but I've been asked pre-pandemic, I've been asked to speak in a lot of places around Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but many of them are small organizations like humane societies or you know a trainer that just wants to have a, a speaker come for you know 30 people or something like that but they don't have significant funds to to, to pay for my flight and all that so I thought well if we fly over and live there for six months then it's just a hopper flight you know yeah. i got asked in poland i got asked for scotland i got asked for i've just been asked uh-huh. to, to go to a lot of places and uh and so i thought hmm, all i would have to charge them is the hopper flight you know plus a, let's say a speaker fee or whatever which is significantly different than a flight yeah. from california mm-hmm. right yeah and so i thought wow this would op- this would allow me and them the opportunity to have those seminars and then we could enjoy living there for six months or something like that. Uh, So my husband was looking for affordability and location that we would like. And we we looked at a lot of places. I have a friend that lives in, I'm going to say this wrong. I want to say Streatham? Streatham? Streatham. Streatham? Yep. Stretham, yeah, in, Lon- in London. Stretham, yes. Yeah. Street, isn't it? Stretham Street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, right. yep. And uh, so we were looking around there, but price-wise, it wasn't inexpensive. And so my husband, for whatever reason, through his research, said, we're going to live in Sandwich. Oh, <laughs> Sandwich. Okay. I don't know. I have no idea why. I don't know much about Sandwich. I don't even know where Sandwich no. is. Where is Sandwich? Does the Earl of Sandwich come from Sandwich? Oh my God! Too the much Earl questions. of Sandwich comes from Sandwich. Oh, there we go. I do know. I know that story. I know the Sandwich story. Right. But I'll probably yeah, find out. Go on. It's in Kent. Huh? That's right. Well, Kent's Kent. beautiful. Yeah, and that's that's why he chose it because he, we wanted we wanted to have while we're in the UK before we go hopping around to other locations for seminars. We wanted to have you know some be able to get to the coast and have a nice environment but sandwich was far off enough that it wasn't exorbitant yeah. like some of the other places do you know yeah. where we love um to look at and me and that have little fantasies sometimes where we we think of relocating our families to wales wales is absolutely beautiful yeah but it's kind of, I, I guess the problem with wales is it's a bit 
far off the beaten track maybe a little bit but the Pembrokeshire coast and all of that bit we've oh, it's just absolutely it will stunning. happen one day one day <laughs> it will happen. yeah I think the reason he said sandwich also is that the there's a train that goes directly easily into London yeah. and so we yeah. would have an easy hopper flight from mm. the airport with a train ride you know uh and so or to bride or whatever and uh so it made it made some sense but we've put those plans off for a little while obviously yeah yeah well most most 2020 plans have been packed away and put on a high shelf haven't they so that's right that's right how how has it been there pandemic wise um well oddly enough i think today has been a bit of a another one of those landmark days where everyone's calling for all the schools to be shut. I think the transmission, it's really weird moment at the moment. We've just come out of a lockdown. Um, right. So we are now in, we've got a tiered system. So there's three tiers, tier one, two, and three. I think only the Isle of Wight is in tier one <laughs> or mm. there's one other place, maybe Cornwall. I'm not sure. But um, so, so we're in tier time. two. So that means that we can, you know, pubs and things like that are allowed to open. You can go to a restaurant, you know, as long as you're, mask on when you're walking around and and all of that sort of stuff um but we've also they've relaxed the rules for christmas so there's five days i think i'm getting this right five days where you can create a christmas bubble and have like your three households i think it's just three households all meet and be christmasy and then probably in january we're going to be back to a lockdown because of that but the stats came out today that i think nine to 16 year olds the the um the the testing rate had gone through the roof and nine to 16 year olds in school so there's a lot of furore and in, in the press today about closing schools and things early which is you know i don't know i don't think they're going to do it but i don't yeah. know it's all very difficult the rules yeah. change on a daily basis it seems on a daily basis mm. that's right we've gotten so strict here particularly in California, just because California, as much as I love it, it's a little bit of a wacky state. <laughs> uh, and uh, we actually, people they're giving people citations if they don't have their mask on while they're out jogging or walking mm. or at the park. I mean, it's like, yeah. you have to be masked unless you are closed up in your home kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. That's a bit and wacky. No restaurants, no bars, no schools open, none of that. It's it's so difficult to know where you fall because the science. I I think as well because you're on the cutting edge of all the science all the time. Like you, what you should and shouldn't do is very very hard to make a call on. And if you follow the rules to the to the letter, then happy days. But I, I, plenty of people aren't. I don't. You know. I know. And I in some instances as well, I think the the, the nuance isn't. You, you have to draw the line somewhere, don't you? But the you know it's very difficult. That's what I'm going to say. It's very difficult. <laughs> well, let me uh, let me ask you one follow up question. On, and I realize this interview is about me, but I love hearing all about what's going on elsewhere and meeting people. What, how how has if you don't mind me asking, how has it impacted your business? Um, I started so we went into our first lockdown in March. Mm-hmm. Um, I started offering remote consults. Did a okay. few. Um, kind of they work really well for some people i i just don't i i felt like i wasn't giving what i wanted to 
Um, mm. So I was I was quite lucky. I kind of have my fingers in a lot of pies. So um, I do some teaching at a university. So I, I basically have, have kind of shut down. I'm there to support my ongoing clients, but um, I could have been really, really busy with consults. And the moment in sort of June, I think, when they started relaxing um, restrictions, um, my inbox was just blowing up with people wanting me to go and do a home visit. And uh, I, I, I think most trainers and behaviorists are finding that as well, that there, there's there's not a lack of work around. Um, yeah. You've found it quite tricky, haven't you, Steve? Because you still do classes and stuff. So it's been here, there yeah. and everywhere. I mean, we, we do got you, it. Do you do, do you do classes remotely? I do. I have. So I, I was the wave of the people that, baptism of fire at the beginning of lockdown of like oh my god have to move everything online so i was i was one of those gang um but actually i i we've kept it going um past the point where we needed to because i've really enjoyed i think there's some really big benefits to doing it i do too mostly Mm -hmm. actually to be the, the talking to the people like being able to actually talk to the people rather than them worrying about what their dog's doing all the time and things like that that's I found. right and i i've also introduced this like q a bit at the end of our um online ones it's been absolutely brilliant i've loved it that's brilliant questions correct. from everyone that's been great um obviously you've had technical difficulties here the other day i tried playing all my videos wouldn't work for whatever reason and oh good lord so yeah that's been a bit of funny but yeah in, in terms of well, everyone went seemingly in this country for whatever reason. Everyone went out and got a puppy during lockdown. Um, Here too, literally, really? there, there is a waiting list at all of the shelters and rescues. Like you cannot just adopt a dog right now. You are number, you know, one hundred on the waiting wow. list, and the wow. shelters and rescues are empty, empty. I don't. I. I mean, I'm seeing all of this, the similar things from when, you know, um, from before the lockdown, but I don't know what the fallout's going to be. I think uh, irresponsible breeding is something that I'm really worried about, um, the source of all these puppies and and where they've come from. But, you know, yeah, it's difficult. Very difficult. Yeah, you can imagine how concerned I am about when we come out of lockdown what are these pandemic puppies going to be like when they start being left at home mm-hmm. that's a really interesting mm-hmm. question and uh one that uh you've given me a really good segue there thank you very much like the gift. <laughs> my Christmas gift. um wow okay let's talk about a little bit about separation anxiety what do you reckon okay okay now did you already hit record in case yeah you get we're some done drums? we're absolutely done we're already recording normally i we're see in... the little uh record button oh uh, no i you see i do it through i've got um I used to be in a oh, band, screen, so I've got screen, like a whole studio stuff thing. and things. So I'm recording it via a different system. So, got yeah. it, got it. So, um, could you define separation anxiety? That's a nice, easy one to start with. <laughs> it is an easy one to start with. Although, you know, it is easy for most dog professionals to say, "Yeah, I know what separation anxiety is." But having said that, I think it's really important that we talk about the fact that separation anxiety is truly a fear slash phobia slash panic attack about being home alone. And when I say home alone, that is specific to human beings. You can oftentimes have another dog or another cat, and that really makes very little, if any, difference. Um, But I want to point out that it, it really is this 
phobia or panic attack about being left alone because oftentimes people really equate separation anxiety with a dog that just is being naughty or you know he's angry or he's um got fomo or he's you know all these <laughs> sorts of things right and uh for your average guardian i think oftentimes they come home and they find, you know, poop on the floor or they find a destroyed, uh, you know, doorway or whatever it is that they discover and they're angry with their dog. And I think if we really understand that these dogs are suffering tremendously, it'll allow your average guardian to have some empathy as opposed to just being angry about the situation. And I understand that it, it is anger worthy you know you get a note from the council saying you're going to be evicted if your dog doesn't stop vocalizing or what have you i mean these are scary mm -hmm. situations um but i think we still need to move a little bit of our our emotions and thought process over to the empathy thought side because of the importance of this anxiety ridden suffering that these dogs are experiencing about alone time I we we chatted a little bit before, didn't we, Nat? About I don't know if you know the the premise of this podcast is we do sections. So we have a, a why read it. We have a pricked my eye, which is things that have caught our eye through the book. We have a Greg Wallace moment. I don't know if you know who Greg Wallace is. If you don't look, him you up. told me, and I had to go look him up. Yeah, but yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've done some sections already. So it's kind of a um, we don't call it a review show, do we? We call it a recommend show. So it's only mm -hmm. books that we would be happy recommending to people. Um, and we were talking earlier about how well um, we think that this this book goes to to, to um, describing to clients how to empathise with their dogs when they're going through this. But also the flip of that, like also talking about how trainers should also empathise with their clients at moments when it's That's really right. really difficult as well. That's right. I, I've been in the very fortunate. <laughs> most people wouldn't call this fortunate, but in the fortunate situation to have a separation anxiety dog who is now recovered. Side note, I did adopt a dog a month ago who ironically also has separation anxiety. So mm -hmm. I'm on that new, new journey yet again. Mm -hmm. um, but when I, when I got my separation anxiety dog 10 years ago, um, it was so profoundly helpful for me because I have, I, I am, I am just by nature, a very empathetic and compassionate person, but it brought me to an entirely new level of empathy, having to, to experience separation anxiety in my own environment. And, um, I realize how much as a, as a dog professional, I have to empathize with my clients with what they're going through just as much as I need to encourage them to empathize with the dog and what they're experiencing. It's, I think it, it does a lot. It does so much for, um, we were saying about, um, I, I think Nat, you mentioned, didn't you, about the fact that you could use the book as sort of like a, if you were going through it, um, obviously tr for trainers brilliant but if you are actually going through it as an owner as well you could use it as a sort of just a little pep a little pep talk in terms of mm -hmm. like understanding because Nat pointed out that you need to hear something quite a few times don't you before it goes into your brain That's and right. you know the case studies of people that have worked through it and you know just honest accounts it you know if you feel like you're not alone in something then it it yeah. helps doesn't it and I think separation anxiety in particular 
um, can be very isolating and you can feel very trapped <laughs> in your Absolutely. own home. It and can be isolating emotionally and yeah. literally physically because you're like, yeah. I can't leave my house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, right. you know, I love being with my dogs all the time. They're all around all the time. But there are some days where they get on my nerves and I just want to get out of the house. <laughs> and I can't imagine not being, you know, even more so in lockdown and, you know, all these restrictions we've got, um, you know, to, to have to change your mindset to not be able to do that and have, you know, five minutes to yourself. Um, it, it's, it's tricky. It's not the easiest thing to work through. It's not. And, you know, it's, I find it interesting that, um, you know, separation anxiety is the second most prevalent behavior issue that is presented to veterinary behaviorists and, mm -hmm. and practitioners uh, in behavior, uh, second to aggression. And of course, aggression is an extremely serious issue and it's a very difficult issue to work with emotionally and otherwise. But you know what? When you're frustrated with your aggressive dog, yeah, give him a, you know, chewy and stick mm -hmm. him in the other room and you go out to the movies or whatever. Well, yep. maybe not in the pandemic times, but you, know, <laughs> you, you go, you go out, you go in the other room, you, you can, you can say, I, I need a break from this. Mm -hmm. And you, you don't really get that break when it comes to separation anxiety. We, we talk a lot um, in well, I'm sure Nat does as well, but in our classes about management and how management is as much a side of, of the training big picture as anything, as anything. Sometimes yes. I, I suspect even more sometimes. When even it comes more to so sometimes, I agree. And there's, I love the language you use in this book. There's was, there was many moments when I'm reading through it and I had little smiles on my face. And one of the ones that I love is the, the contract, um, creating a contract between you and your dog. Um, and there's there's a few times in this where it blew away some of my preconceived notions about um, separation anxiety because I've always thought one of the hardest cells would be because um, I remember from reading your first book, Melina. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one of the hardest cells is always going to be you know your dog has no alone time whilst you work your way through these protocols. Um, so I loved the the creating a contract as a way of getting through to people and saying. And saying, look, this is your side, no alone time, and your dog's side of the contract is no elimination, no tearing your house up, barking, whatever that might be that they're experiencing. That's right. that's and right. I thought, I thought that's great. I, I really, I really appreciated that, and, and I'm stealing it if that's okay. No, absolutely, <laughs> steal away, steal away, make it your own. Um, I don't remember if I put this in the book or not because I think I pulled these these numbers after I had published or after the final version had been had been gone had gone to dog wise uh maybe i did put these numbers but um one of the things i just did a interview for um the uh applied behavior analysis uh organization there's a big big uh, mm -hmm. organization here that's all applied behavior analysis and uh it's not just for dogs it's just applied behavior analysis mm -hmm. for all, all species, et cetera. But, um, and uh, I, was, I was fortunate enough to do this presentation for them. And one of the things, and it was very interesting, I don't wanna get sidetracked, but it was so interesting. They only gave me six minutes. 
what? And you're like, what can I possibly get across in six minutes? You know, it takes my- me that long to say hi, I think. It takes me that long <laughs> to clear my throat and, and say what my name is, right? Oh, it was crazy. So wow. I, I, I don't think I've ever worked so hard on a presentation because I had to memorize every, la- I mean, I, I had my notes, but I had to literally take out every the and uh and whatever <laughs> that I possibly could just to get down to the seconds because they cut you off at six minutes and whatever you have to say after is too bad, right? Uh, anyway, the point being, um, I really wanted to get across the importance of suspending absences. And as an industry, certainly here in the US, but from practitioners that I know in the UK, this is true as well. There are a lot of dog professionals that say, no, that's never gonna happen. I wouldn't even ask my clients to do that. It's too tall of an order. And so um, I presented this information to them, which I gathered from my own database. Uh, And so starting in January of this year through, now I did this presentation in October or November. So this is a couple months old, uh, but, We've been contacted by 2,398 prospective clients, okay? Wow. We track data when anybody contacts us and we ask, we have questions, you know, in our questionnaire on our website, 50% of those 2,398 prospective clients were already suspending absences or said, I have no problem with that from the get. You don't even need to tell me why. Of course, yeah. I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. 50%. But and I think that's impressive. But to, to, to tell you how much more impressive this is, an additional 35% said, if you can explain to me why and help me figure it out, I, I will do that for you. So we have 85% of this 2,398 mm. contacts that were like, yeah, I'm on board. So when people tell me no one will ever do that, I'm like, yeah, actually the the numbers don't yeah. lie. A lot of people are doing it already. And of course it makes absolute perfect sense, really, doesn't it? Because, you know, it, you, why would you be, if your dog is howling the house down, the way you, you've set up that support bubble already because, you know, you can't live like that. So it does make, it makes sense. I think those stats are in the book, actually. Oh, are remember. they? Yeah, yeah, I don't remember. It's, it feels like it was, you know, years ago that I finished that book. And <laughs> yeah. it, it wasn't, but it does feel that way. <clears throat> There's another part. So one of the, um, I mean, th- this has long been out of um, my my understanding of how to help with separation anxiety, but it, apparently it still persists um, in terms of, uh, interactive toys so like kongs and things like that to, right. to help and i think that's long been a sort of like you know just if you're going to leave your dog just leave them with something to do and that with will be a, fine with a, yeah and I, did I, I did i convince you through my book that that might not be the direction you did go? you did uh, interestingly enough was that covered in the first no it wasn't and uh i will tell well it was hinted there was at. like there yeah. was a hint at it because it was uh, already gonna... in it was already an earworm in my brain about and then and then this obviously goes a, a lot much more into detail and a lot more right. you know science to support it but yeah right. again makes perfect sense when you it's like a lot of these things and it makes perfect sense when you break it down but yeah. you know these little things that you get these myths that persist that you they know persist. That... 
I mean, that is the the most common recommendation. Use a crate and stuff a food toy. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the most common recommendation still to this day. I think it's changing. I think, uh, and I can't take credit for that. I, I just think that, there, well, number one, there's more than 100 CSATs out there and they're starting to, you know, put some influence out there. But uh, I just think that people are starting to look at what used to be the redheaded stepchild, you know, separation anxiety, and uh, and 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 say, yeah, we got we got to do better because it wasn't working the way we were doing it for so long, mm -hmm. and you know that that makes me so happy. I um, I am surprised how many people are really adamant, and I have to take great care to explain to them about antecedent arrangements and all this sort of stuff when it comes to food toys because they're convinced that the food toy is creating a positive so association mm -hmm. uh and we and i understand that because how often do we use food in training as we should to create a positive you know conditioned emotional response right but separation anxiety is a little different particularly because of the order of events mm -hmm. Yeah, and the old classic, isn't it, that you get back home and the Kong will be left untouched, and as soon as you come through the door, they're like, "Yeah, happy to." Oh. I'm, 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 I'm not going to eat it straight that's, that's away. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah, I don't. Um, also, I, I mean, maybe I just live differently with my dogs, but shoes and toys like that are for when I'm there. Mm. So I can get some downtime, um, and uh, you know, because I've uh, got multi dogs. If if a pizzle gets buried in a sofa and I don't yeah. see that happen, then that is potential World War Three going to kick off at some point, and no one knows why. Um, and I I I think that the technology and the ease of um, accessing, um, you know, a little camera. I've got pretty much in every room I've got a camera that I can look on my app there's no it. excuse now to not know what's right. going on when you're not home you, you know right. it's so easy and none of my dogs have any issues but I like to be able to check in on them make sure everything's okay <laughs> I do too it's you know it's kind of step one isn't it because actually we might you could see something different you know before we go down the the diagnostic route of separation anxiety it could right. be a whole host of other things that are going it on absolutely be and I, and I think that the technology is, is one, I think there's other reasons too, but is one of the reasons that suddenly it seems like everybody's dog has separation anxiety. <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think that we didn't have separation anxiety before. I think people Never were needed. genuinely unaware. And once we started putting cameras in our homes mm -hmm. and seeing what our dogs were doing, I mean, I think, you know, separation anxiety, you know, they say between 20 and, you know, 55% of the, of the dog population, pet dog population, you know, are suffering from this issue. Um, and I think at least the 20%, I think is underestimated because if a dog is not being heard from a vocalization standpoint, you know, if you, if you're not living in an apartment building or whatever, mm -hmm. and the dog doesn't happen to be destructive and doesn't eliminate, you may not. Yeah, how, idea. how would you yeah. ever know? You I mean, we're um, that in the in the time when people went to work. Mm -hmm. Obviously, everyone's in now, but um, I my work patterns all over the shop, so I'm around a lot. Everybody else goes to work, and just walking in the garden, I can hear dogs that I know are home alone and unhappy. 
-hmm. and you know unless I it's a really difficult conversation to have actually to knock around to your neighbor and say is everything okay without it sounding like you're complaining I'm like no I'm just worried about your dog Mm -hmm. um but how else would they know you know um unless they unless they come back and they've broken through a door or they've ripped up the rug um they might never know they might never know i always try and sell it to a lot of our puppy clients to get to get these little cameras um and i always say you know worst case scenario or best case scenario i guess is that you've spent you know 120 quid to watch your dog sleep all day that's yeah and that's fun and and it also means that you can check in like you know if you're thinking if you're at a cafe and you think i might have another coffee you can check in they're fine brilliant i'll have another coffee everyone's right. happy um That's or if you're right. at the pub which is probably where i use it most which is probably where <laughs> yeah shall we have another pint hang on let me just have a look yeah, yeah they're all asleep still <laughs> yeah that's exactly right yeah i i absolutely agree with you and i think in the book i mentioned uh, there was that bbc program mm. yep uh on separation anxiety and um i thought there was a lot of stuff in that program that I was like, oh, they're relying on food toys and da-da-da. I mean, I loved the show, but there was things that I'm like, they should have asked me. I could have helped out. <laughs> uh, and uh, But one thing that they did in that show that just blew my mind was they took, I think it was 80-some-odd dogs, and they did a cortisol test mm-hmm. prior to leaving and a cortisol test after. And it was astounding, the percentage of those dogs that had considerably elevated cortisol levels but weren't they weren't howling they weren't defecating they weren't destroying they may be sort of pacing around the house a little but it wasn't it didn't really you wouldn't have you wouldn't have seen that on the camera and says oh my i said oh my gosh i should rush home my dog is distressed but how interesting that so many of them had that really high cortisol Mm -hmm. level and I, i i understand i'm you know, I, I love dogs, obviously, but I, I love people too. And when I work with clients, I'm very pragmatic and realistic about the fact that there are going to be some dogs that are never going to lie snoring on the couch for the three or four hours that you're gone. They may be up looking out the window and then going to the door and sniffing and then sitting for a little while and then looking out the window again. They may not be you know, thrilled about the, the aspect of being alone. And we, sometimes, sometimes that is the best that we can do. Uh, these are social creatures, right? They're not, not really meant to be, you know, alone for six hours a day or whatever it is. And, uh, but, but I, I really realize that there's a line that can be drawn there, right? There's a difference between a dog that's like, you know, this kind of sucks. I really wish my mom was here versus a dog that is truly experiencing a welfare issue because their distress is so high. Um, Mm. And so I I think it's really, those cameras, godsend. I mean, I think I talked about it in the book that 20 years ago, you know, we didn't have this technology Mm. and it was a big difference to how I worked with separation anxiety and and it wasn't nearly as successful. One of the things that really struck me about that program, I remember watching it, was uh, I think this was a little bit before it was kind of popular to go out and get a like, camera that links up to your phone, and maybe a, like half a decade, maybe or something. I'm not sure, but they were showing the owners the footage, and the owners were like, 
oh my god i had no That's idea right. and it's quite it's quite distressing to watch the owner reactions sometimes to seeing that their dogs are actually really upset and mm-hmm. yeah that that stuck with me from that program i can't remember what the program was called but i do remember yeah something of the life of the life behind Secret dogs. Life of Dogs, I think Secret, it was. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. right. Secret yeah. Life of Dogs. That That's the one. You know, it's funny that you say that. Um, this is changing now, but in the last even five or six years, when I would start with a client and they would say, well, I'm getting complaints from the neighbor or I'm coming home to, you know, ripped up carpet or whatever. And I would, my first question is always, have you, have you watched your dog using a video? And, um, now most people have five six ten years ago people hadn't Mm. and i always 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 said we're going to do an initial assessment and while you could watch with me i'd like to watch on my own and then we'll talk Mm. about it before i share the video with you because for some people, the guilt that washed over them the moment that they saw that their dog was as distressed as he or she was, they thought, you know, I've been doing, I've been leaving my dog alone for the last year and he's been going through this every day. Like mm. the yeah. guilt involved with that was really rough. Mm. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, it's sorry, not getting going. the ba- so sorry, it's getting the balance right, isn't it, as well? Because I think what, what, has helped me as well is um, when I've done the assessment and maybe the owner is very bonded and actually they're the ones with separation anxiety, we can, you know, go and watch the app outside the front door and go, just give him a second. Now he's laid down, you know, and they're not rushing back in so we can make the progress we need to, but with a continual kind of, welfare assessment that we're not pushing things too far um i i am in the club of having separation anxiety from my dogs i'm completely aware of that (laughs) i think many many of us do and uh and i think the cameras i have yet to decide in my mind whether the cameras help or harm us because sometimes I will look at the camera. Well, now that I've got this second separation anxiety dog, I haven't, you know, I'm not going to be leaving anytime soon. But with my other dog who's recovered, I would look at the camera and I would say, and she'd be literally lying on the couch, maybe with her head up looking towards the door. And I'd be like, <laughs> she looks terrible. I better go <laughs> You know, and, uh, and I would just impose my own worry and stress and separation anxiety on her. Uh, so sometimes the can I actually, you'll laugh at this. Um, I don't think this was in the book. And again, I don't remember. It's kind of scary that I don't remember what I wrote in my book. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, I oftentimes will get to the end of a separation anxiety protocol with a client and I'll say, all right, now what we're going to do is impose a desensitization protocol on you the guardian and then i will literally write as if i was writing a mission i would write for them watch the dog for five minutes turn the camera off for you know 11 minutes (laughs) no cheating and then watch the dog for two minutes camera off for 16 minutes you know whatever it is right and i would and they would have to follow my 
it's a desensitization plan yeah. for the guardian, right? Uh, because they were, so, I mean, I've had people that, you know, we work for several months together. They get their dog to the point that they can be left alone. And then they go out to dinner and they have their phone sitting in the middle of the dinner table. Mm. And I'm like, that's, that, you know, you've done all this work. You need to enjoy it and not yeah. just stress over every little lip lick that happens in, in your dog, right? So, so we have to wean people off the cameras. <laughs> well, we're all addicted to our phones anyway, aren't oh, we? So it's just another. <laughs> oh, I read, I read yeah. a brilliant children's bit today. I, I went shopping. Long story short, I've talked about it already on the podcast. I went shopping today and went looking for children's books in this great independent bookshop. And one of the books was about this brother and sister and they were going out looking for shooting stars. So going out looking for constellations and stars at night, but they couldn't see because her brother was had a phone on all the time. So she was desperately trying to get him to take the phone off. And then he's like, no, I can't. I'm looking and like you're scrolling, scrolling. And then when they eventually turned the phone off, they saw all these shooting stars. And uh, I thought it was a brilliant idea for a, for a children's book. A really, really that's good. brilliant. Actually, uh, it's a brilliant idea for a, little, a lot of adults too. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I wanted to ask just quickly again, I think you have a mastery of terminology and how to put things in things um missions where, where did that come from i think that's a great way of putting it right because you can think like oh yeah we're gonna, gonna do a mission today rather than oh, it's a, a protocol oh, not another protocol yeah it's a protocol exactly <laughs> so um I, I, we've been using that term for quite a long time as a matter of fact we were using it when i wrote the first book and i thought i don't want to um confuse people and mm. blah, blah blah so i didn't put it in there but um i and one side note, you'll laugh at this. I lost this battle. So for me, I capitalize the word mission. To me, it's like it's, it's like that much of a proper noun, right? Uh, and my editor slashed that. She's like, we're not capitalizing mission. <laughs> well, but it doesn't, it doesn't work, hinder I, the book in any way. Oh, I, I uh, well, good. Well, good. <laughs> so um, it's funny. It, it, it was sort of born out of necessity because... I would say to people, okay, I'm writing your steps for today, or I'm writing your exercises for today. And then, so exercises or steps, plural, meant the whole mission. mission. Okay. And then I would say, well, you know, in your first exercise, you know how you're going to do blah, blah, blah. And they would be like, do you mean the first step within the exercise? Or do you mean the whole exercise? Like, it was just really muddy. It was really muddy. Uh, and it just came about in a discussion probably in 2013 amongst a couple of colleagues uh, of mine. And um, they were like, you know, these people, they're just on a mission. And we were all like, that's it, you know. Uh, and one of, one of my colleagues, you know, had said, oh, yeah, that's, how, that's the word I use. And I'm like, that's perfect. We're adopting that. So it's great. Yeah, I really, really like it. Really, really like it. Um, I, I, um, I've got, I promised that I would ask a question that Corinne, my, my partner, who um, she sometimes comes in on our podcast from time to time, but she had a, a really good question. There's a nice section in your book about genetics, um, and how I normally go through, because me and Corin are both dog trainers, we run a business together. Um, I wanted to talk to you about that because your husband's a dog trainer as well, isn't he? Just that, just how you keep the marriage alive. I was going to ask you that later. <laughs> um, but um, uh, we'll go there. <laughs> but um, 
how we do it is because she wants to read the books as well. We read to each other when we're in the bath sometimes and things like that. So we I read the books out together. And then we take That's notes. That's how you other. keep the marriage alive. See? <laughs> like re- reading separation anxiety books in the bath. That's the yeah, in the bath. <laughs> but um, uh, it, there's a bit about genetics in there, and I would be, you know. I would be way out of my my realm talking about genetics and dogs, but I find the subject absolutely fascinating and how I genetics can affect all sorts of behaviours. Um, but the question that Corinne had that I promised I would ask was um, coming looking at it from a genetic angle is could irresponsible breeding okay um, cause a bias that appears that makes it appear like. Um, separation anxiety could be breed specific to some breeds do you think that's a possibility I quite wow like that. that is a fantastic question i've never been asked that before and yeah. i have a really interesting answer for you oh cool because i have an example actually okay cool um there is a breeder and i, I won't mention the name of her dogs or anything i don't want to <laughs> tarnish her reputation um, because I think her intention is really fantastic. Uh, there is a breeder here uh, in California who is breeding dogs with the intent of not only being, you know, cute and size appropriate and all this kind of stuff, but her, her goal is temperament, that uh, they are friendly with dogs, friendly with people, love children, good with cats, you know, whatever. And uh, she 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 coined like a breed name, it, it, but she's not. I mean, while she's not selling them for cheap, she's not trying to get this to become a you know AKC breed or anything mm-hmm. like that. She's just saying, okay, these yes, these are mutts, but I'm charging you a lot because I've gone, I've taken great care to find these genetics to put together. Right now, and I, I, as you mentioned, I'm not a geneticist either, and nor would I ever try and understand. Uh, or try and espouse that that I understood all of this stuff. So interestingly enough, I didn't really know about this breeder until several years ago. Uh, a colleague of mine got one of her dogs, and I met the dog, and I was like, "Wow, what a you know adorable dog!" And super affiliative towards people, dogs, children, cats, you name it. Uh, and she was a trainer, and uh, so she was out there telling all of her clients. These are such great dogs. If you're looking for a dog and you're a first time dog owner, these are great dogs for you. Just problem free dogs. Interestingly enough, over the course of a couple of years, I kept getting that line of dogs as clients. And in a way, it doesn't surprise me with my limited knowledge of genetics if we're breeding for the highest level of affiliative nature, hmm. so sociability, relationship, social, yeah, pro relationship, pro all these things, it it does make sense to me that there could come along for the ride yeah. an, an inability to be without people. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, you know, small scale example, but I do think that right now we don't see a lot of, uh, there, well, there's not a lot of evidence that, oh, that breed always has or uh, yeah. commonly has separation anxiety. 
Um, but I think it could happen that way, particularly within a line within a breed, you know, kind of thing. And that could start to permeate out. Um, and now that there's so many designer breeds, I expect we are going to start to see that stuff. Mm. Yeah. So many factors involved in that as well, because certain you know, socioeconomic groups are going to be drawn to certain breeds as well. So, for example, we've had an explosion of um, oodly things over here in the UK. So cockapoos particularly. Um, and uh, they are cute and fluffy. Um, and people with families are drawn to them because they look very teddy bear like. Uh, but ultimately, they're you know, it's it's a working cocker with a poodle. They're two that's right. very high drive dogs. That's, that's um, absolutely right. And so I think, you know, I, I mean, I love thinking about the genetic element and then the environmental element, but we might see all of that come together into something where, yeah, we, we are then labeling a particular breed as mm -hmm. not being particularly good at, at being left alone. Um, yeah. I actually, uh, just as a follow-up to that, interesting, I just, just a couple of days ago, I got an email from a breeder and she said, I just read your book. I just went through your online course for guardians and I've done a bunch of research. And she said, uh, I, you know, in your book and in your online course, you talk about genetics. And, uh, she said, I, I have just purchased this um very expensive uh dog for my breeding stock uh and she said and, and he very apparently has separation anxiety what is your thoughts on this and i i was really i just sort of thought I mean, I want to tell her what I want to say, but at the same time, you know, I, I have to, I had to be a little, little held back. Um, so, you know, I've sort of presented my arguments pro con, and then I provided her with three research papers on the genetics and, um, she got back to me a few days later and she said, as difficult as it was, that dog was so incredible as a potential asset to my breeding stock or my breeding pool. Uh, she said, but I have brought him back to the original owner and, you know, had a refund uh, mm -hmm. because I just would not, I wasn't willing to influence the, my future generations with that issue. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I think the awareness hopefully will start to get out there. Mm -hmm. uh, and for the, there's always going to be irresponsible breeders, but those responsible breeders might start to look at, you know, I mean, we responsible breeders that test for hips and test for this and test for that. You know, I wonder if there will start to be a, I'm going to check off all the boxes and one of them is not separation anxiety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've one one thing that I want to keep in an eye on the time. I want to make sure I I'm talk to you. Sorry, about I, I can talk all day. Oh, that's fine. It's, I'm, great. I'm, it's I'm, really interesting. I just don't want to take up your valuable time. I'm I'm fine. I'm here for the evening. I'm good. Um, <laughs> um, a great section on medication. Um, again, it's an area of, of which that I you know I'm, I'm not a vet. I'm not a veterinary behaviorist, um, mm -hmm. but 
I think a lot of the stigmas are, are dissolving around medication, um, and that's always a good thing. Um, there's a there's a, a tricky, maybe tricky, maybe it wasn't tricky, I don't know, but I imagine a tricky section on alternative therapies in the book where um, where your mastery of language is very diplomatic, can I say, <laughs> along there. Um, but yeah, I, you know, demystifying all of this area of like, I, I mean, it's bad enough in humans. I mean, I don't know... I. In, in the UK, in humans, it's only recently become okay to go and see a psychiatrist, you know, like even that was taboo for a human to do it. So, so you know, taking meds for things like depression and things like that, it's had a, a stigma around it or anxiety issues. It's had a stigma around it for a long time, I think, in the UK. And I think we're safe to say, I don't know what Nat thinks about this, but we're kind of coming out the other end of that. With dogs, yeah. I think it's, it's even, it's maybe even more of a stigma. I agree. I agree that it is. Um, I just did a presentation with a colleague of mine and at the, uh, um, we're, we're, we're doing a lot of work with separation anxiety and the homeless dog. So how do shelters and rescues work with dogs in their care that have separation anxiety? How do they get them placed? All that kind of stuff. So we did this presentation and talked about medication. And one of the things that we did was we put up three or four slides. Uh, and the one that always pops to my mind is uh, there were magazine covers and we were talking about the cultural fog, right? And how cultural fog has been cleared when it comes to mental illness. Like we put up a magazine cover that has Lady Gaga on the cover and it says, Lady Gaga discusses her depression, medication and you know therapy or whatever, right? On the cover of a well-known magazine. Uh, and so I think, yeah, mental illness, depression, anxiety, et cetera, in people has come a long way and we're getting through that cultural fog. I think that we have not come a long way when it comes to dogs. And I think it's very common that someone will say, oh, I'm gonna go see my veterinarian for medication with, you know, for his separation anxiety. And out of, you know, their, their 10 or 20 colleagues that they mention it to, you know, 19 of them are saying, you're going to drug your dog. You know, mm. I can't believe you're going to try puppy pros. Yeah. I, I think there's still quite a bit of judgment there and, and I'm hoping that will change. Um, and you're right. It was the alternative remedy section was challenging for me, but in part because I have a really strong bias and that bias has been born of 20 years of working with dogs and seeing the limitations and almost you know non-existent help that some of these alternative remedies were offering. And I feel like, boy, people spend so much time and money trying things mm. that aren't necessarily going to help. And for a, for a behavior that is as important from a welfare standard for the dog, but as imp also important from an emotional bandwidth standpoint for the client. Yeah. It's, a, it's really yeah. like, let's not spin our wheels, right? That part of the book actually, where you, you talk about a client that came to you after going through all of this, all of these different stages of alternative remedies and then broke down to you about the time and the unnecessary, yeah, coming to that realization that can't be easy. And of course, like no one's saying, you know, a lot of these things, there is no evidence for like CBD oil, for example, 
you know that's that over here it's just you know it's everywhere it's like you everything do this. i mean you have you know you have a headache cbd you have a stomach mm. ache cbd mm. you know you have allergies cbd you know yeah. i mean it's it's everywhere i've actually been contacted lately by a lot of cbd oil producers wanting to you know partner with me do affiliate stuff with me have me promote their products and you can imagine how funny my answers are to them. Like, what are you doing putting this crap out there? <laughs> yeah. And then it's going to be a long, and you've mentioned this in the book, uh, it's going to be a long time before the evidence rolls in on how effective, you know, um, any of that stuff is. Because I think, I think this there's, is there's a no quote. standard anyway, is there? No. There's no standard. You can't there's compare no, there's... products because who knows what it's in what source it is you know it's 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 all a bit scary i think i the scary part is that i don't want to do a scientific experiment on my dog mm. i don't and i feel it, you know hey i live in california i mean we're like the pot you know <laughs> around here so i mean i'm certainly not opposed to people that you know peruse their products uh, but um, I, I just worry that we don't have enough research. We don't know dosaging. It's like you said, it's inconsistent from product to product. And to just sort of say, I'm going to, I'm going to buy this one because I like the label and just start administering it to my dog. Mm -hmm. That is a scientific experiment that you are doing with your dog and um I, I you know i'm hopeful that maybe the research will prove or disprove whatever uh will will show us something about the benefits or lack thereof um but right now they're not studying anxiety related quite frankly they're not studying anxiety related benefits from cbd because they haven't shown anxiety related benefits from CBD. They have shown some benefits from seizure disorders and mm -hmm. for for pain. And that's what the universities yeah. are concentrating on. Yeah. And also the bleed through and THC content in some of these non THC oils and things, you know, you come home one day and your dog will be having Bob Marley blaring on the stereo and absolutely. <laughs> That's exactly it, right. It really did. It really did catch my eye that section, especially everything going on at the moment. What with vaccines and you know, and uh, That's right. you know, and how I, important it is. I think to to identify your biases. I think that's a fantastic point. Fantastic point. And um, I think we we have to we have to have quite difficult conversations with our clients and delve into why they might be reticent to try. Um, you know western medicine you know <laughs> proper pharmaceuticals because sometimes they've had a bad experience or they've had um you know addiction problems or you know um and i think it obviously you have to be careful there but we shouldn't shy away from that if they just say no um we should we should help because i think meds for me are, are step one not step 10 once no. you've tried everything else because you've got to get the uh, Amber Batson says you can't train an unhealthy brain. You, you know, you love got, that, good, isn't it? It's good. That um, is really good. Yeah. So all that physiology. I mean, you don't have to sit there and talk neuroscience with people, but a, a lot of people are just worried that they're going to be sedating their dog, That's whereas right. these aren't sedatives. A lot of them are, you know, 
uh, SSRIs or tricyclic antidepressants. Um, so they're things that are, you know, in in human society to help with with mental health as well. But yeah, definitely something I'm really passionate about and would happily talk to anyone that has concerns about you know drugging their dog even that term is so sort of derogatory and it's it so much good stuff down the drain by just right there's a bit i'm yeah. trying to find it here actually talk about yourselves yeah i love it there's a little section i was gonna save it for our greg wallace moment about medications i might bring it up again but you talk about clomicam and reconcile and there's a little couple of bullet points about what they what they are and what they're not and one of them is because everyone's like it's going to change your dog's personality they're going to you know well then there's a section here that says they won't change a dog's personality um except to reduce overall anxiety which may mean the dog becomes even more fabulous than he already is i like Aww, that it's a nice that's little, nice yeah. i like that that's and, nice and it's true we have seen this so often where someone whether they're reticent in the beginning and they add medication or whether they start them from the get-go and they set you know four to six weeks later they're like my dog is just so happy and and what's fantastic because you know separation anxiety is comorbid with quite a bit of other anxiety behaviors mm -hmm. what's fantastic is like sometimes people didn't even know that their dog was showing anxiety towards noises or you know, plastic bags blowing in the wind or whatever they are. And they're like, you know, now that we go on our walks, it's so much more pleasant because she doesn't spook at everything. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I mean, it can it can affect positively the dog in its in his or her entirety. Uh and, and really make the dog so much more fabulous, as I say, <laughs> you know, than than he or she already was. There's um just before I do, because obviously I, we are eating into your lovely Californian day, but it's lovely out there. And it's a morning where you are, is it? You know what? I'll tell you that. Yes, it's morning. I'll yeah. tell you this. I have about an hour before I have my next appointment. So we're fine. Oh, well, brilliant then. I'm going to go, 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 go on. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Well, definitely then. Um, I wanted to talk about, um, I brought this up again um, a little bit earlier uh, in the show, but it, it surprised me a little bit. I was taken aback a little bit by how and I'm, I'm not throwing you under the bus here how little how little you have to have to do in the missions it might be a lot of it it might be like every day of the week but the 20 to 30 minute and when you say the missions you know the steps that you go through the little desensitization program it surprised me how little there was in there I would you know I I, I don't know what I thought to be quite honest but I thought actually I, I expected it to be more I'm glad you mentioned this because most of our clients also expect it to be a lot more. Mm. And many of our clients come to us having said, well, I've been doing this three and four hours a day of, you know, these actors mm. and, and they're, and they're assuming that it's going to be an overwhelming uh, time devotion for the protocol. And I'm not going to, uh diminish the five days a week at at about 30 minutes i mean that that is a commitment yeah. that is not easy mm. for a lot of people um i want to say a couple things about that 20 to 30 minutes it's not a particularly magic number um there's no tremendous science behind it however one of the 
so there's two components to that 20 to 30 minutes. One is, and, and maybe not the most important, but also, but very important. One is I back in the day had to figure out what will your average person be able to accomplish uh and 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 in what what how bite size can we make it so that a person can say you know what i can put 30 minutes aside per day i can do that uh so there was that influencer and then the other influencer was there are a lot of professionals out there that say, oh, you're just going to sensitize dogs. That's what you're doing. You're sensitizing dogs. And there is a point at which if you do too much repetition, too much training, that you will and can absolutely sensitize a dog. And, and so I really played with that over the years. And I used to do at least two, sometimes three missions a day. And then I was like, Ooh, let's back off. And now we'll do two. And then I was like, Ooh, let's back off again. And we found that because I used to do it so much more frequently, I found that the progress was equally as uh, uh, fast as it was when I was doing more practice and that there was less risk of sensitization. And so I agree, it's it's not that crazy. It's not, hey, put aside two hours every day mm. to do this, right? It's, And even when people reach two, three hours, I don't know how well this came across in the book because I didn't devote too much time to it, but <coughs> like if, if they say, well, I wanna you know, be able to leave my dog to go out to dinner uh, <laughs> someday in the future, um, <laughs> In 2025. Then, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so they, you know, they we build them up. They get to two, three, four hours, whatever it is. Um, and then they say, but I, I don't want to have to leave my dog four hours a day and sit in my car for four hours just <laughs> to rehearse this, right? And so once people get to about a half an hour or an hour of duration, what we do is we decide how many days a week would you benefit from leaving for an hour or more you know going to the grocery going to dinner going to uh whatever the post office etc and usually that's two for some people maybe three and then the other days it's it's actually perfect we do you know a 10 minute absence and the dog gets to have these brilliant easy wins and it just reinforces the whole protocol you know so we don't have to like oh i want to leave the dog for four hours i better do it every day so he maintains that ability it, it maintenance is actually pretty simple we, we sort of maintain separation anxiety by virtue of what we do in our lives or our non-pandemic lives right sometimes we run to the post office and it's a 15 minute absence sometimes we run to the coffee shop and it's a 20 or 30 minute absence and sometimes we go out to dinner and a movie and it's a three and a half, four or five hour absence, right? And that is really what the maintenance becomes. I love the, the you reminded me of another bit about um, how you celebrate those things. Like, did you manage to get your newspaper? Do you know what I mean? Did you manage to do, rather than I did four minutes today, no, that in that That's four right. minutes, you managed to get out of your house, go across the road, grab a newspaper and some veg and then you're back, boom. And that's celebrate that. That's the thing that, you know, I managed to get to the shop and my dog was fine. So those little yeah. successes. Celebrating approximations is so important with separation anxiety because 
It doesn't. I mean, how how exciting does it sound when I say let's celebrate that you're able to leave for one minute? That just, you know, mm -hmm. doesn't, you know, doesn't really make me go, woo. <laughs> but when we compare it to our beginning point and when we also look at what the dog is able to do within that minute and then we also equate it to what we're able to accomplish maybe not in a minute most people can't do much in a minute but a lot of people can walk to their car and get something out of the car and come on back or whatever they left their uh something or other in the car they can go grab something and uh you know it's just it's important to celebrate those wins and I think it's an interesting phenomena when we start working with clients people are like you know i need to have my dog be left alone for four hours or whatever it is and most people don't understand the type of expectations that we are going to put on them we we do our best in our initial phone call and all that in our initial assessment to get those expectations on board but it's it's the process of working through the protocol that allows people to develop this excitement about these little wins because they see not only the effort and 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 time and emotional uh um effort that they put forth towards the protocol but they see a dog that went from screaming bloody murder when they closed the door to a dog that is peacefully resting on the couch or whatever for five or 10 minutes or even, you know, four minutes. Uh, and it's a, it's a such, it's so gratifying. And, and I know I say in the book a lot, like these clients are truly incredible and they're so compliant and they really are, but I think it's part, part and parcel because the process is so powerful to watch. How, how many um, clients on average does a CSAT have on their on their books at any one time just that is something that kind of like so because this is it's a lot it's a lot of work for again you break it down into little things but you know how many would you say so it depends on the CSAT um some people are do you know a couple of separation anxiety clients but they also teach class and they okay. also work with aggressive dogs and puppies and they you know they have a very rounded right. business uh others um exclusively work with separation anxiety like like i have in the past and um I'm always asked during our certification program, how many clients should I take? And I, and I, my answer to the students is start with one. <laughs> and uh, here's the thing. When you start working with separation anxiety, it will take the average trainer more time on a daily basis to write that new mission. They're just, they're not, they're not rehearsed in it yet, right? And they'll think about it and they'll think, well, what if I put that there and this? Here? No, maybe I should reverse that. You know, they'll think it and sometimes overthink it, um, but it's appropriate to do so when you're new. For me and and for the, for the CSATs that have been doing this for a while, it takes me about 10 minutes a day to write the mission, put in um, um, uh, some celebratory notes, give the client some R plus, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, uh, 10 minutes a day per client. Uh, and, and I don't want to diminish the importance of what we're doing just because it only takes 10 minutes, but I mean, I'm really skilled at it and I know exactly how to knock it out. 
And so anywhere between 10 and 15 separation anxiety clients is a very full place. I can imagine. Yeah. 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 Oh, it just interested me. Why? Okay. I'm going to, we're going to have to let you go at some point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> off into California. Um, one thing that, um, now I think I heard this the last, have you done two interviews with Nick um, before? Yes. I think I might have heard this on the first one and it always stuck in my mind. Um, do people, have people actually in real life used a mannequin to try and fool their dog that there's someone in the house? Based on what I see in on the <laughs> internet, yes, people okay. have actually done this. Okay. <laughs> and the scary thing is that based on what I see on the internet, people are claiming that it worked for their dog. Oh, really? Um, and not everybody, but I mean, I've seen some people say, oh, this is what you have to do because it really worked for my dog. Here's the reality. If it worked for your dog, your dog did not have separation anxiety. Uh-huh. Your dog may have been bored, may have had a little bit of like, oh, I want to go with you, whatever. <clears throat> if something like that worked for your dog, it was not separation anxiety. Separation anxiety is, uh, or separation related behaviors or all of these other terms that are out there. Um, these are really, truly panic attacks. And, and I just want to equate it to some of the human phobias that we have out there. You know, if you were afraid of public speaking in front of a large audience or any audience, and I were to say to you, I'm going to let you bring your teddy bear on stage with you. I mean, would that, would that make the public speaking event any less scary i i just don't believe that there is that sort of stand-in type of uh um for a for a dog or or really for humans for that matter don't lie to your dogs as you point out in the don't ever lie to to your dogs dogs. (laughs) oh well thank you so i don't know have you got any more questions or um, no, I was going to bring up the Don't Lie to Your Dogs as my Greg Wallace. That was my one. So oh, I'll, well, we can, we can talk about that. No, no, it's great. <laughs> it's, it's really good. Um, so where, where can everyone find you? And if they want to, if they want to go on to the, you know, become a, a CSAT. I, I had moments of reading the book of being like, I can do this. I want to be. And then other moments I was like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I slightly inspired you. <laughs> moments. I think that's kind uh, of the point though, isn't it? I think you, you have to be, I think you do have to be a, a special kind of person to, to be a, a CSAT. I think you do. I, I, I You do. You know, I recently did an interview with, I don't know if you know who Dr. Zazie Todd is. With yeah, she, she's been on the podcast before. Yeah, we've had Zazie on. She's yeah. so great. Wrote the yeah, foreword in your book, didn't she? Yeah, she did yes. write the foreword. That's right. I did an interview with her and um, she, one of the questions she asked was what are the qualities that it takes to be a CSAT? And I won't, I won't answer that entire question here, but one of the things that I, because I, I wasn't expecting the question, I was, it was all off the cuff and, and I, and I thought for a minute and, I, and, and just, you know, answered the question with what came to mind. And I said, it's these, you know, four things. And of the four things, only one of them had to do with being a good training practitioner. Mm. 
And it was not the first, second or third, it was the fourth. Uh, and it wasn't even, you know, being such a brilliant trainer. It was being a detailed trainer. Okay. Uh, and understanding incremental training and all of that, right? Uh, and the first three were, you know, things like empathy and, uh, uh, you know, ability to motivate clients and, you know, all of those things. And so we have a very um, lengthy application process for the, um, oh my gosh, you have a disco going on. The police on. have yeah, just turned up and that's house. They that, found that, you. <laughs> my husband's just turned them on because he loves Christmas. So I'm sorry if that was off. Oh, that's okay. It was just very there. exciting all of a sudden. <laughs> I thought the, uh, fu the fuzz had uh, caught up with you now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, our application process is, is pretty detailed and it's a, it's a long written application. Uh, and then there's a verbal interview. Uh, uh, not with me, actually. I have someone because to me, I'm like, you're so nice. Do you want to be part of my program? <laughs> and I'm the worst. I'm the worst interviewer ever. And so there's someone else that helps me with the interviewing. Uh, and the, the, one of the main things that we are looking for is people that can be very articulate with their ability to motivate people, people that have a lot of behavior counseling experience and understand what it means to counsel people through the good times and the crappy times, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And um, I hope crappy is not a really bad word over there. No, no, no it's fine. No, no. No. Okay, it's, a, it's an everyday word over here. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, and... Um, and I think it's very, I think it's really important to have those qualities, even much more important than being the best practice. You can learn to have great skills as a practitioner. You need those other things to be good with separation anxiety. Cool. I think that rings yep. true for a lot of dog training and fairness. I, I think do too. I really do. It's often overlooked and it's the classic, isn't it? I remember we talked to Patricia McConnell um, and she said, again, I'll be slaughtering this quote but something along the lines of she has loads of loads of people come to her and be like you know I, I don't I really don't like people I want to work with animals and she's immediately she's like well you know you need to reassess that that opinion because it's all working with people a lot of work right. at least a, a huge majority of it is that's right even the folks that work in shelter and rescue you know oftentimes they say I'm going to go into shelter and rescue because I don't like the people end of things the people end of things is still present mm -hmm. there. It mm -hmm. really is. So anyway, I, I sort of skirted your question. Um, my website is melenademartini.com. And uh, if anyone wants to go to my website to learn more about the separation anxiety certification program, the information is there. There's also an application there. I will tell you, it is... Um, it is a very popular uh, certification program. We are now accepting applicants for the program in 2022 because wow. we are filled wow, for all of the amazing. programs. Yeah, we're filled for all the programs in 2021. Amazing. Uh, so for those that are interested, apply now so that sounds so salesy apply now <laughs> uh, no but i mean put your application in now because it fills up quite quickly yeah. mm. uh, we can always hold people's spots um, once they've gone through the application process um, also on my website is our mission possible course which is uh the online self-paced course 
that was developed for dog owners, dog guardians. Um, I do have a lot of dog professionals that just jump in there just to sort of get a good, like, mm. how would I explain this to your average, you know, client? What are they thinking? What are we, you know, what, how are we teaching them? It's a 99 US dollar course. So it's not mm. s- such a huge outlay. And I think we've, we've seen a lot, well, we've, got a lot right now we have about a thousand uh students and i don't know what the split is between um you know dog professionals and and dog guardians it's mostly dog guardians but um it's a really fun course and i go in every single day and i answer people's questions and posts and comments and stuff so i'm very interactive in the program it's a lot of it's a lot of fun so and there's also just so people know if they want to go to my uh website we've got a lot of blogs it's just there's a lot of free resources just use it take it (laughs) make sure you educate yourselves i mean that's why i put it out there we'll be sure to stick links to all of that in our show notes maybe you can send me a couple of links if if you get a a bit of time melina and i'll make sure they go up on the on the notes can i reply to the nat uh can i yeah that's fine yeah email that's wise, email, I, I yeah. can put it in messenger but it's probably easier email yeah, yeah. That, that'd be perfect thank you finally finally you definitely win the award for one of the best named dogs in the world teeny de martini oh, <laughs> <why>? thank you <laughs> all i'm hoping all i'm thank hoping you. is that you've got a new addition please tell me you named it weenie beanie or <laughs> My husband would not allow it. He was like, you got to choose the cute name the first time. I'm not allowing it. So Is he called Dave? The new the new dog. Uh, what's up? I said, is he called something like Dave? No. Uh, there was there were there were some iterations that were very similar to that though. Uh, she is a she is a mix a terrier mix she's about seven pounds so what's that um four kilos or something like that yeah and uh uh and (laughs) she's just this scruffy little thing uh but she's got these eyelashes that are just incredible (laughs) i've never seen anything (laughs) like them uh, I, I have some really amazing pictures, literally, of her eyelashes because I'm so fascinated <laughs> by them. So uh, we decided that she has lashes just like a Maybelline model. How oh, brilliant. And so her name is Mabel. Mabel. Brilliant. Oh, that's good. Well, we definitely need some photographs of these eyelashes now as well. Yeah. I tell you. <laughs> and actually, uh, Teeny D. Martini, all of the illustrations that were done in the book by Lily Chen, those are all of Teeny. Oh, that's oh, cute. Amazing. I wondered whether it was Teeny. <laughs> amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's been thank an absolute you. pleasure. This has been lots of fun. I really appreciate you having me on. I'll send you some links. Uh, and uh, whenever the uh, podcast is going to come out, will you send me a link and I'll happily... Yeah, for sure, for sure. Disperse yep. it out all over the place. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. Spread the word, yeah. spread the love. Spread the love, spread <laughs> the love. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that would be great. And... and uh, with your permission, I'll, I may uh, put a, a link also just on my website under where I have all the podcasts. And yeah, stuff. that'd be brilliant. Perfect. Yeah. That'd be brilliant. That'd be brilliant. Well, enjoy your day. 
All right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And you as well. I was, I saw the glass of wine there. I'm a bit jealous. It's 1030 in the morning. I don't think I should pour myself a glass of wine. But... Wine. Oh, I want some wine. I'm going. There you go. That's cool. That's, that's called preparation. That, that is. That's preparation. Yeah. That's exactly right. This year, this year, all of the trainers that work for me, because we joke, we have a glossary when students join my certification course and we have a glossary <laughs> of like words that, you know, they should know specifically mm-hmm. what the definition is. And the very last word in the glossary is wine. <laughs> and it says the preferred beverage of all CSATs when working with, you know, separation <laughs> anxiety dogs. And so this year I bought, um, these cups they're insulated you can either put cold beverages or hot beverages in them but they're you can't see through them and they have a straw or whatever you want to use with it and i'm sending it out to the secret wine so that they can have their wine and look as though they're just drinking a normal (laughs) beverage lockdown water yeah that's exactly right (laughs) thank you so much thank you so much have a lovely evening take care bye-bye you like dogs and I like dogs and you like dogs, yeah. We like dogs and I like dogs and you like dogs, yeah. You like dogs and I like dogs and I like dogs, yeah. There we go. She was lovely, wasn't she? She was lovely. I really liked her. I could have nattered away for ages, but I, I hope you didn't pick up my tummy rumbling. I did a, <laughs> I did a, you know, you sometimes get throat rumbles. <laughs> There's a very audible throat rumble somewhere in that. <laughs> so, yeah. So if I didn't pick up your tummy, definitely, without a doubt, 100%, there's a definitely audible throat rumble. There. It's a gurgle. That's, a good old gurgle. It was a good old gurgle. It was a good old gurgle. Um, how amazing, how brilliant. We'll stick um, links to everything that Melina talked about yep. um, in the show notes this week. Yep. Um, fantastic book. Go out, buy it. Stick it on your Christmas list. Stick it on your Christmas and list. And then also that um the course for clients sounds like a good deal as well. So what's that like eighty quid? Yeah, it's not low, is it? Sounds great. It's a win win. A no brainer, as we say on the box from the bookshelf. Indeed. Well thank just you very been, much. Just um, been joined by my little yeah. uh, Jack Russell, he's sat now sat on the lap. Mine mine are now going, uh it's it's late for dinner time. Yeah, I know. I know. Grumbling bellies, throat rumbles. Yeah. <laughs> question, 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 questions, questions. Question, question. Tell me what right, you think we're gonna, about. We're gonna um, do speed answering questions because we had loads last time that yeah. we didn't have time to answer. And I'm hoping I haven't missed any because I can't quite remember which ones we answered and which ones we didn't. If we have, I, feel free to poke yeah. us and tell us. Yeah. We're bad um, dog trainers. I don't think we answered Diane's question. So she asked, do you think that all reactive behaviour is fear or anxiety based? For example, a dog who reacts to noise by barking when a specific person is present, but no reaction, even sleeps through the noise when that certain person is not in the house. I'd have thought that if it was caused by fear, anxiety, then the barking would happen, whoever was there. I'm going to, can I hang my coat on the door with this one? I'm going to say, no, I don't think it is all fear, anxiety related. 
I, I definitely see. And th- again, I'm not that. I said just before we started recording that Nat should answer all these questions before I, <laughs> before I get involved. Um, but uh, uh, I have witnessed this myself. I know for a fact that um, Penny, certain noises, because Penny is quite noise reactive, certain noises she will yell and holler at us if they happen when we're in the house. But if they're happening and we're not in the house, um, she doesn't bat an eyelid. I've seen that mm-hmm. 100%. I've got evidence of that happening more than on one occasion. So that would suggest to me that um, she's trying to tell me like, there's this thing over here. And I, I don't, sometimes I don't, I, I can tell the difference if she's scared of a noise, if she's reacting mm-hmm. through fear, like from fireworks or thunder or something versus alert barking mm-hmm. or, you know, but it's interesting that she doesn't alert bark because she knows there's no one to, well, it's not interesting actually, is it? It makes perfect sense now I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just no going to go. I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> there's no one to alert no why would you you wouldn't do it but um yeah i think there's there's most likely some form of uh anxiety going on there in order to be alert about something though mm. so um i i think there's a couple of things that could be going on um uh with uh, diane's dog so uh one the behavior could have been accidentally reinforced Hmm. so that it is becoming a kind of attention seeking uh, behavior. And you'd know whether that was the truth if they were looking at you rather than orientated towards the noise in general. Um, Also, uh, it could be that uh, the person gives that dog confidence to feel safe enough to react fearfully um that's so, really interesting yeah. yeah yeah i would want to see i would want to see them home alone and footage are they are they still feeling scared but they're not confident enough to act on it obviously we've just heard about the benefits of being able to remote record your dog at yeah exactly so, yeah. yeah so i've done that thing where i ask more questions than i answer but oh God, don't you just hate people listeners that answer questions with questions <laughs> sorry yeah. um okay right move it hopefully that helps diane um uh carrie ann has asked hello carrie um if you were going to get a dog to do a dog sport what breed and what sport if i was going to get a dog to do a dog sport um i i um have had my eyes widened and opened this year um to tracking is that class as a sport (laughs) yeah tracking yeah yeah yeah, tracking. Um, what breed? Wow, I am like Peaches is just a, a, an absolute banger at tracking. She's brilliant. She blows my mind. Um, if I was specifically going to get another dog, oh, I don't know. I guess I guess I'd want to. I don't know. I don't know. I get any dog, any dog. I'd yeah. give it a go with any dog. I'm, there you go. There's, I'm there's more about. Like the sort about of the sort of ego of me was going, yeah, bloodhound. I'd love a bloodhound <laughs> because why would you not want a bloodhound if you're tracking? Yeah. But actually, the answer to the question is, I've seen how joyous it makes Peach. So any dog, any dog would yeah. do. I I agree. I and I think uh, it depends on whether that individual dog, regardless of their breed, actually enjoys those activities and. Yeah. Um, tracking is obviously a different one to something like flyball. But, um... <laughs> okay, right. Thanks, Carrie Ann. So, Greg has a question. Uh, having multi dog households, how much do you find the emotional state of one affects the other? If it does, which emotions, excited or nervous, do you find, what do you find are the most impacting? 
Um, so his his dog Betty Boo, super energetic morning girl, gets giddy for morning walks, which my Hugo finds very intense to a point of frustrating, um, annoying. I think this Great is the question. magic of of um, yeah, very good question. This is the magic of running a successful multi dog household, mm. um, which. Uh, I do at various levels of success, depending <laughs> on how how tired I am. Um, and I think, yeah, it's um, I, I always call them flashpoints. So there are times when arousal level levels might be heightened, and there could be the potential for conflict. Mm. So food, me. The postman time of day uh and they're all the you know identifying all of those potential sources of conflict uh can help you to keep everything nice and calm yeah uh so uh for example um uh D drax at the moment is in the hallway um and jack takes a little while to just warm up to him and um will you know go and give him a a snog and bark at him a bit um just because uh he found out that the way to get the human vending machine to work is to bark at the wolf and then <laughs> and then treats appear my my uh my training fail there but um uh but when jack's doing that it winds fish up and then fish will run over and then um so a fish is just on a, a line in the mm. lounge when Drax is in the hallway easy yeah just basically prevent him from because part of the um the issue is is the whole running the charging and then getting there and thinking oh my goodness I'm just gonna <laughs> react so if you actually take that out of the equation it just keeps everything nice and calm so having you know um whilst you're working through things you want to be preventing those things so you know um uh getting dogs ready for a walk can also be one mm. of those flashpoints um and the way i manage it is that uh they they come into the hallway one at a time to get their harness on so that no one's kind of in someone else's face um so they they all kind of queue quite nicely behind the gate and then they get in the van one at a time um and then in the evening as well, you know, I know that Gru is is going to be tired. His bedtime is about eight o'clock. Don't hear much from him after that. And so ha him having his little crate and area that is just his so that the dogs aren't walking past all the time mm. um, is really, really important. I'm all about the management, really. Yeah. So that because, they, you know, just because they're all dogs, it doesn't mean they all have the same needs. No. So something they, I we've learned with Peach is that she... She's like morning, right? All she wants to do, she wants to eat a breakfast. She wants to go and have a wee. She wants to go have a poo. She wants to come in and then she wants to be in a coma for about four hours. That's what <laughs> she wants to do. Yeah. And then she gradually wakes up in varying levels as the day goes on. But come eight o'clock, it's like, ding! She's absolutely like, I'm awake. I'm ready for a game. <laughs> so, you know, we, we incorporate that, that knowledge of, you know, what goes on through the day versus what we can do with Penny versus what we can do Peach, which dog's yeah. in the lounge with us, which dog's not, you know, that kind of thing, because they're both living separately at the moment, which I'm sure I've talked about. So yeah, in terms of when, when they're sort of their natural, I'm awake moments are definitely Peach is definitely nocturnal without a doubt. <laughs> without a doubt. Although Penny's quite happy to snooze at any point during the day. <laughs> She's more like me. God, yeah. 
terriers are. <laughs> They've gone to sleep now. Actually, I might put the heater on because fish looks a bit chilly. Oh. Um, okay, they were great questions. questions. I hope that we've covered all the ones from last time. So we've got um, two more, I do believe. We've got two more. I'm going to read it out. Okay. So this is from... Uh, Kelly, Kelly, friend of the podcast, Kelly. Kelly always asks Hi, good Kelly. questions. Hey, Kelly, how are you doing? Um, uh, I've been working carefully on more formal handling, but I had a vaccination book last week. COVID vaccination? No, for the dog. <laughs> um, so my question, is it better than I took her or my boyfriend? Is it better that I... Also, oh, I think it's supposed to be that, that I took her or my boyfriend. What's going on? We live together, but it's all a walk-in feeling. I should have read this version, I? Ah, I see. So, okay, right, okay. So, um, the, the the question is, should she send her boyfriend to get the dog vaccinated rather than her? Um, she'd get more confidence from me, but it would be a withdrawal from our relationship bank account. Whereas with him, the withdrawal would matter less, question mark. I also <laughs> registered... I'm just giggling away here. At the, uh, <laughs> I also registered her with a different name. So when the vet says, oh, hello, Rover, as well as... Uh, as a well-meaning gesture there is no negative association with actual name do you do anything weird like that that's um i, I like that a good question i'm willing i'm waiting to hear what nat has to say about this one good <laughs> questions um i think it's a really good consideration because what you don't want to do is for her to think oh mum took me to the vets <laughs> now i don't like mum but actually um and there's there's probably uh some research on this that I can dig out somewhere um actually having a person that you trust with you if something scary is going to happen is is more likely to be beneficial than detrimental um so I I wouldn't really think about it as a a, a withdrawal because mm. you're you're there as her her voice and her support really it's the vet that's doing the thing Mm. Um, I think with um, formal handling practice, the most important thing is to make a routine and stick to it so that the dog knows what to expect when this particular thing happens. So, for example, um, with Jack Dog, his party hat goes on. I hold his collar and his party hat. I'm around the front. He gets jabbed. That's it. Just in um, case people I... are wondering, party hat is muzzle. Yeah, is a muzzle, yeah. <laughs> um, so you know just doing the same thing so that the the kind of motor pattern is is there um takes the guesswork out of it mm. um so i would say that rather than worrying too much about who's who's the handler think about what that person is actually doing and and have a kind of set way of of, of doing it so you you know you go in you do it this way and and then you can practice that practice 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 and then the the difference of course when you actually then get the jab is is the jab that's the only mm. different part of it um and it depends on you as well you know i always get a bit um a bit nervous when i'm taking the dogs to the vet but yeah I that's figure a good point that's i'm gonna point. be i'm mm. gonna be more help being there than not um so yeah it 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 helps me as well to have a consistent way of handling because then i don't get all flappy flappy <laughs> and faffy it's i i this reminded me of something you say about doing weird things like that maybe not the same maybe maybe kind of the same but me and me and um 
Corrin keeps scores on like who is the last person to take the yak bar or something like that so that that we have some sort of like some even like goodness and and not so goodness about like you know (laughs) I was the last person that had to call Peach into the kitchen so you can be the person that calls Peach into I mean I don't know why she always gets something awesome whenever we call her into the kitchen and she absolutely loves going in there but for for our benefit more than the dogs we do that that's quite weird we certainly so yeah I can imagine that we would do sort of like Rather than just have one person do it, we'd probably swap. So we'd yeah. feel like we were keeping our accounts at the right levels. Yeah. Good question. Really good question. Yeah, I like I like the um the kind of fake name as well, the nickname. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, I really do. I think, but uh, I would uh, you know what I would do? I'd forget that I'd said it. I'd just yeah, be sat there yeah, blankly. Yeah. It'd, be like, <laughs> it'd be calling you, you'd be like, Who's that? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um But uh yeah, I mean I personally I found that that someone knowing my dog's name puts them at ease, but I dep- it, that might not be the case for for Kelly's dog, um, because they kind of go, "Oh, you know me? How do you know me? Okay," and it relaxes them a bit if someone says, "You know." Issue, I was issue. thinking the other day about um, kind of relevant because be, what name would you give to the vet to call out? And I thought it would be a great name for a dog if I, if I get another dog at some point in my life, which I'm definitely going to. Um, <laughs> Reginald P. Hunter. <laughs> Copyright. <laughs> Reginald P. Hunter. Because I love Reginald D. Hunter. And of yeah. course, dogs are pee hunters. Yes. Right, uh, yeah. last question. Let's get this one in real real quick. Steve, Steve, I got it. You got it. I got it, mate. I got it. It's P. P. <laughs> P. Hunter, Nat. Yeah, P. yeah, Hunter. I get it. Yeah, I got it. Reginald, got it. comedian. I got, well done. Well done. <clears throat> this one's for Michelle. I love this one. If your dogs could talk, what would they sound like? I think my pug Stan would have a strange Cockney French accent. <laughs> Also, when people greet your dog in a park, do you respond in their voice? I know Nat does this. I know she does. Yeah, I, I know do. you do. I do. You do all the time. And I, I know I know the voice you've got. Um I okay, um uh uh Peaches um she so we found out really early on that Peaches responds really well to you saying your like that to her, like your like a question. Yeah, but in a question form, but in a weird like your and her little head goes, and she goes. Oh. So, I've kind of developed her in a monologue around that. Mm-hmm. So now, whenever there's like, so the other day we were cutting up carrots, and I was like, and I was just in the background as Corin was cutting up carrots, doing Peach's voice, going, "Yeah, I love carrots, Mum. I really love them. <laughs> I, I really love one of those carrots. They're my favourites. Um, <laughs> I also like the smell of that thing. I don't know what that is, but I love that too. That's my favourites as well. That's the carrots. <laughs> so she has a voice like that. Penny has a kind of, can you, hi, how you doing? A little, little croaky, <laughs> little smoke too many cigarettes sort of voice yeah. that Penny has. Um, what about you, Nat? Uh, well, Fish is a little baby voice. Um, Fish did an advert for a dog training college, didn't he? He certainly did. A little fishy, 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 fishy. I think <laughs> I love my mummy the most in the whole wide world. <laughs> I've got little testy balls and I'm very cute. <laughs> That's fish. Um, Mouse is, uh, uh, rest in peace, Barbara Windsor. Get out of my pub. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. um, Gru is like 
the most chilled um dreadlocked stoner guy that you've ever met <laughs> that you probably will just see wandering around in flip-flops in december so he's like talks like this a bit man yeah really slow <laughs> is he from the west country he is yeah <laughs> yeah um and jack uh i don't think jack's got a voice because he's very vocal himself so he would just talk in one. full sentences with a bark <laughs> um and drax just only knows a few words and uh Hello. 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 I am dog. I like nothing <laughs> I like nothing more than making my dogs talk. Yeah. It's so um, in answer to your question, Michelle, no, I've never never thought about my dog's voices <laughs> at all. Um and I certainly don't sit at home most evenings having conversations between them with me and my husband um maybe i've done it um but definitely i've heard you do it even when, when i've shadowed you in the past where you do like the dogs meeting and their little internal monologue of what they're doing um which i've, <laughs> yeah, which I've always do. liked i've always liked I do. that it's really, oh, really hello. It's oh, really yeah nice. actually yeah on a walk i always do i i can't help it i i if if one of my dogs is saying hello to another little dog i i do both of the little voices like oh yeah i'm okay can i sniff your bum yeah okay all right bye <laughs> i have to because of the the whole yeah thing that i just said about mm. peach i have to i incorporate that into her whistle recall which is something that we're working on at the moment she's blinding at it she's brilliant whistle wow. recalled her the other day from a, a puppy that they were running around and i waited for that little split second where they all sort yep. of stopped and had a shake blew the whistle she spun on a dime and come back but what I do after I blow the whistle, I also I'm staring at it, I'm going, yeah, yeah, like that, and then I like sound like some demented German. But um, yeah, I'm um, yeah, she loves it, and then she gets a Brucey bonus for running back. She's um, Aww, yeah, she's so girlie. funny, she's so funny when she runs towards you fast because her, her jowls all lift up and her like, teeth are out and her eyes are really wide. She looks absolutely bonkers, but I love it. Manic. Right, okay. Thank you for all your questions, everyone. Yeah, thanks, um, guys. Send us more. Always send, and we shall move onward, shall we? Yes, let's go and have a chat. Hey! Right, shout. Oh, hello. Who's that? Who's that? Who's that? With some Christmassy sleigh bells attached. Oh, has he got Christmassy sleigh bells? Maybe. Whoa! It's the Greg Wallace Moment! <laughs> Ooh. It's Greggy time. Like, shall I go first? Yeah, go on. Greg? Go on, hit me with your Greg. I will hit you with my Greg. Um, Steve, yes. never lie to your dog. No. Why? So many proposed ways of changing dogs' behaviour consist of trying to distract them or lie to them. Our intentions are usually good. Step-by-step -step training can take time, but if someone claims there's a quick fix, it's human nature to want to try it. We could argue that there is a moral issue involved with lying to our dogs, and I do believe there is, but there's a more immediate reason not to do it. It doesn't work. <laughs> Book slam moment. Bam. Boom. Bam. Mic drop. Walk out the room. Um, don't lie to your dog. Okay, okay. Well, here's mine. My Greg Wallace moment is... Yeah. Um, I've called this There Is Hope. Okay, oh, I'm going to read straight from, straight from the book. Okay. 
I know that a magic wand for separation anxiety would be lovely, and we all daydream about its existence. There is no magic wand. Instead of the quick fix that we're all wishing for, we must understand the incremental process of working with separation anxiety. It's slow, it's challenging in many ways, but it is effective. And trainers who learn and understand this process can convey that to their potential clients who are suffering along with their dogs. Oh, that can convey that to God. I should learn to read before I do this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Any trainers who learn and understand this process can convey that to their potential clients and understand and, yeah, who are suffering. Trainers can offer hope and can... Penny? Penny, you're being very naughty. Do you hear her? Yeah. Trainers... It <laughs> <laughs> it's not my stomach, it's my Jack Russell. Penny, hey, shush. Shush. This could be difficult. Trainers can offer hope and can impart their own confidence in the process. Later in the book, you'll read a story about a dog named Holly. She was a pivotal case for me. It's well worth looking this up if you have got the book, by the way. Working with Holly brought me to a new strong belief that we can be successful with this process with time and consistent training. I'll remind you on several occasions that separation anxiety is fixable so that you can come to the strong belief that I have. And I just wanted to read that out because I think... Lovely. Yeah, hope. Hope is important, you know, especially when you're dealing with this. Isn't that right, Penny? Penny is now rubbing her face along the carpet. Penny is ever hopeful of uh, floor treasure. (laughs) Floor treasure. Or desk treasure is what she's actually looking for at the moment. She's gone rogue. Right, okay, I've got an In Praise of Dogs. I've got a Christmas-themed In Praise of Dogs. It's a poem. Okay. It's a poem about Christmas and about dogs. So this poem is called uh, Christmas Dog. And this is by uh, Shel Sieverstein. Sieverstein? Silverstein, Silver Silverstein. I don't know. Shell. Is it Silverstone? No. I call her, oh. I'm going to call her Shell. Okay. Right. Are you ready? It rhymes. Yes. So um, bear with me. Hold on to your pants. Right. Tonight's my first night as a watchdog, and here it is Christmas Eve. The children are sleeping all cozy upstairs while I'm guarding the stockings and tree. What's that now? Footsteps on the rooftop. Could it be a cat or a mouse? Who's this down the chimney, a thief with a beard and a big sack of robbing the house? I'm barking, I'm growling, I'm biting his butt. He howls and jumps back in his sleigh. I scare his strange horses, they leap in the air. I frighten the whole bunch away. Now the house is all peaceful and quiet again. The stockings are as safe as can be. Won't the kiddies be glad when they wake up tomorrow and see how I've guarded the tree? Ah. There we go. That's lovely. I like that. Christmassy, Christmassy. Oh, you got terrier noises in the background now. I've got terrier noises now, yeah. They've decided that they've given up begging for dinner and they're just going to act like idiots. Well, that's Uh, it. We can go and feed our terriers. Yay! Oh, I have one one really, really quick thing. Um, Friend of the podcast, Grant Sharkey, whose song appears on the end of most of our podcasts, is um, he's just had a new album out. It's absolutely fantastic. So if you're on the Spotify's, or the Apple Music's um, look for Grant Sharkey. The album's called Calm Down. I think it is something that we could all do with hearing a little bit about in these strange times. Yeah, um, I haven't, I haven't given it a listen yet, but I will do. Oh, it's very good. What's going on yeah. in the back? <laughs> before, oh, our, be- before our terriers eat each other. Oh, it's a wrestle. It's a bitey mouth wrestling match. Mouse started it. <laughs> Get out my pub. See, yeah, I know. Everyone <laughs> thinks fish, fish is the annoying little adolescent, but. It's grandma. It's She's mad. Grandma. <laughs> She's lost it. Grandma mouse. Right. Um, 
we're going to get this one out pretty quick. So you're going to get this one in December. You're also going to get a Christmas special coming up uh, next with a very, very special <laughs> guest um, that Penny's very excited about. Um, uh, I'm definitely getting some beers in for that one. Boom, boom. And some vegan mince pies. Yes. Boom. All right. Well, thank you, Natalie. Pleasure thank to see you. you virtually. Yeah. And um, it's, um, it's been fun. Yeah. And thank you for everybody for listening. And uh, well, I'll save all the Christmas frivolities yeah. for for Wednesday. Save it. Save it. Yeah. Bye, bye, everybody. Bye. Atoms collide, our cells divide, just like they've always done. A spark of life, we multiply this ride, it's just begun. The stretches back through all time. Time guided by a primal desire to simply survive. Survive, you can't keep it down. It grows.